0: Welcome back everyone to another episode of The Occasionalist. Matt Pagel here, kicking off season eight with Adam Chemaluski. Chema, how you doing, my man? I am doing
1: Absolutely fantastic here on this Thursday evening. It's been a long time since we have uh, reconvened for the podcast. So much has gone on. I I don't even know like what kind of opening line to run here. I'm like, sh- how many times have you heard running up that hill? Have you seen this? <laughs> have you seen that? I, I just don't even know where to start off here. So I will just say it's good to hear. Good I, to hear I from you. A, good to I be back.
0: A, yeah, I have a playlist that is now just Master of Puppets and running up that hill. That's yeah. it.
1: I would figure I would figure as much. And I got to tell you, dude, I watched that episode of Stranger Things like I'm sure most people have. Um, about a week later, I'm in my car and the song comes on and I was like, oh, this is awesome. Like the song's on the radio mm-hmm. now, right? I was like, dude, I was rocking out to this. Like I was loving it and everything. The next time I heard the song, just switch the channel. I think I'm over that. <laughs> I think I'm over it yep. already. <laughs> yeah. I
0: mean, believe, like, and it's one of my all time favorite Metallica songs, like legitimately one of my all time favorite Metallica songs. But mm-hmm. I just can't hear it all the time. I like, no, I cannot hear it all the time. And I'm sure whatever, if they had any other song in mind, and I'm sure they did um, for that scene, had they had any other song in mind, um, be it Metallica or... Um, I'm trying to think of who else at that at that particular point in time would have been up Eddie Munson's alley, but Metallica for sure. Like Anthrax, maybe. Anthrax, maybe, like... maybe something... I would say something from Slayer, probably. Yeah, um, yeah. At that point in time, I would have gotten... Like, if if like they did Slayer Raining Blood, I'm sure <laughs> I would have gotten sick of hearing... And I'd love... I I don't know if people know this. I'm a huge metalhead. I love I love Slayer. I would have gotten sick of Raining Blood in two days.
1: Yeah, without a doubt. Like I um I'm not let like Master of Puppets is one of these songs that like no joke, I probably only hear a couple times a year anyway, and most of them are when I'm working out. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And like I um just kind of refuse to jump on this bandwagon. What I'm seeing here is Toto Africa all over again, especially with running up that hill. Mm -hmm. And I just, I, as with the Toto Africa thing, I thought this was over long before it even really started, and this is one of those ones I kind of refuse to perpetuate. They're great songs, but like you are not going to see me obsessive about them the way that our um, the way that like, our pop culture has over the last like six to eight weeks.
0: Correct. Correct. That Cape Bush song is totally fine. Like it's a totally fine song. It, it's not like some amazing song. It's totally fine. It just. I'll I'll I'll, since we're doing this uh, apparently we're doing a Stranger Things leadoff. I'll give I'll give the Duffer Brothers a lot of credit. The way they use that song in that scene is fucking fantastic. Oh God, really great.
1: Like I was sucked into that scene like you would not believe. But the minute that I'm hearing it more than once in my car,
0: I'm good. I'm okay.
1: Yeah, yeah,
0: exactly. (laughs) Anyway, anyway, maybe we'll get to oh no for you know what for sure um, next month. I'm sure we'll be talking about um, Stranger Things, at least in some detail, um, as we'll be talking about the 80s, 1980s next month. That's Um, right. But this month, uh, to kick off our eighth season and get back to our, um, again, eighth question mark season, not really entirely sure at this point, Um, but uh, to get back to where we were in our calendar, uh, for August, we are, this month, we are the Occasionalists going Beyond Borders, and we're going to be talking about music, movies, and TV, and everything else media-related, um, that is not from the United States and with a with a particular emphasis on non-english uh, movie music and TV shows um mm-hmm. which is you know it's you know before we even hop into the questions here it, it I realized like how you know because of Netflix and and just any of the streamers but especially Netflix with some of their successes um like the German show dark and obviously like stuff like squid game um how probably more time ever, you know, probably now more so than ever ever before any previous time in the pop culture landscape, how much foreign entertainment is really enmeshing itself in Western pop culture.
1: Oh yes, it is fucking putting it in there like a hammer with nails, man. I'm telling you, it is coming and it's coming fast. I think that people um to a certain degree are you know, like experiencing this and actually liking it. I mean, we're getting squid game too. And I'm, I'm assuming there've been multiple seasons of dark. I, I, I know the title. I just, I haven't watched Latin, the show. Yeah.
0: It's, it's over now, but it had like four seasons, I think.
1: Yeah. So like, you know, people are jumping on this bandwagon and stuff. And like, it's, um, it's, While sometimes um, I am very, very excited that uh, people are experiencing and broadening their horizons, there are just other times where I really am just like, Squid Game is the craziest thing I've ever fucking seen, dude. And it's like, no, it's not. Like, it's (laughs) really good. Yeah. Um, However, like, and I'm probably in the... Nope, sorry
0: about that. My Uh, phone was not off.
1: (laughs) Oh, no problem. (laughs) Sorry, continue. (laughs) I got (laughs) notifications. Anyway. Oh no problem, dude. So like, um, like for me, I'm one of these people that like I actually thought the best part of Squid Game was kind of towards the end after they got through all the competitions. But like, because it became like this, actually there was a really cool twist, and I kind of liked how the story wrapped up. But it's um, it's once again like with our uh, Twitter and the internet reaction to stuff. There are just sometimes, as we just discussed with Stranger Things, where I think it is a little bit overblown. But if it means somebody loves it enough to overblow it, I guess that's good because it's just broadening people's horizons.
0: Exactly. Even if you're not, even if you're not into Squid Game, I'm sure that that has at least opened the doors to some other Korean entertainment that you might be into. Um, you know, even if you weren't into, um, again, Dark. There's maybe there's some other uh, German or Scandinavian show that like might pique your interest. Um, So like it's it is a good, you know, like I like I really think that um, I really think that stuff like shows like um, Schitt's Creek and Letterkenny have been not that we've ever had like problems getting Canadian entertainment. But the wall is so much thinner now that I don't think people really care that a show they're watching might be from Canada. Because there's, we've had now multiple examples of great Canadian shows that are basically a part of American pop culture.
1: Right, exactly. And with the way that um, the American pop culture and entertainment machine is grinding out content, and I mean, there's more of it now than there ever has been. And like I will probably say the same sentence again when we revisit this topic another time. Oh, for but, sure. Uh, there is so much of this shit coming out that eventually like american audiences are just going to be fatigued whether it be by format whether it just be style or hell maybe even they're sick and tired of just watching the same setup to punchline kind of joke format that we see on network tv and if um they're going other places and opening their eyes to newer content like like dude i'm like i'm all for it like abc can take a hit on a couple of shows and still be okay. You mm-hmm. know, like I, I, feel that some of these Netflix shows, um, that are from other countries and everything like that, like they could use, um, they could use some extra eyes on
0: there. Sure. For sure. Do you, which, which of our networks, um, and not, not streamers, which of our networks do you think will be the first to have like a really, a, a show that leans more towards quote unquote foreign than anything we've ever seen before?
1: Who, man, I for some reason, I got to say Fox like it seems like Fox would take a gamble on this. I know ABC and Disney. I don't think will. It's just they're too formulaic. Yeah. Um, I, I, eventually they will. But I think if we're going first, it's it's Fox like this just seems to be something that they would take a take a, take a spin it. on.
0: I can see it. Fox definitely, you know, for good or bad, Fox definitely does some things that are different than uh, than NBC or ABC uh, and CBS do. So I could see yeah. that. Yeah.
1: Oh yeah. Yeah, definitely. I did. It's not NBC for some reason. Like I just I go right into Fox as being the people that are going to pave
0: the way for something like that. Yeah. All right. So let's get into it now. Our first episode for Beyond Borders month, we're calling it Sounds of the World. We are tackling some foreign music. Uh, so let's start with this first section here. I called sounding off, and this is sort of the. Uh, this is sort of I, I have. I had, well, when I get to this question, I have two very distinct memories here. But mm-hmm. for you, Chama, do you remember who the first artist was that you were, like, fully aware um, that they were not American? That, like, you were just like, oh, this this song that, you know, maybe you're four or five or whatever, this song that you know, you're just like, wait, this person is not from, from the United States?
1: What? Oh. Okay, so this is actually. I'm glad you brought this because this took me uh, down memory memory lane too. And this is also my most basic white people answers of the entire episode that we're going to do. Mine is really weird. It's George Michael's Faith. I have mm. very early memories of this song. Like, this song came out in 1987. I would have been three. So, like, I don't know, around this time, like, I. I guess I still have memories, which is weird because I could hardly remember what I did last week. But um, so the um, with Faith in particular, I remember it being a big song. And I think my mother maybe got my sister like a George Michael poster or something to like hang on her wall, you know, just like just to, to be rebellious or
0: whatever. Well, and, he was um, such a hunk in a ladies' man.
1: Yeah, that's also very... Oh, wait.
0: <laughs> yeah,
1: God only knows, right? Um, so somewhere with this song coming out, I found out that he was from England. Like that was mm-hmm. like established that George Michael was from another country. So he, it's, it's weird. Like I, I don't have a lot of memories of, you know, sitting around listening to music, like with my parents and stuff. But for some reason I do latch onto George Michael's faith as being not only the first like non-American artist, but one of like the very, very first things that I remember hearing.
0: Gotcha. George Michael. That is so it's fascinating because I think like in my mind when I was really thinking about this and I, I had a feeling and I had a feeling that you were going to be one of these people. Like my, in my head, I was like, well, it's got to be the Beatles that that was the first band or like the Rolling Stones or someone. That was the first act that I was aware of that wasn't English or that wasn't mm-hmm. American. That were, you know, they were English. And I, I was thinking, I'm like, I bet Chena has that. Like, you know, knowing, knowing you, knowing, you know, knowing what kind of music you grew up with and everything else. But yeah, like I, so, so George Michael is really funny because I have a similar sort of like, sort of like, kind of like, wow, that's weird. And it's, <laughs> and it's fucking Rick Astley. And oh
1: yeah. I could see that. Definitely. Because yeah.
0: Rick Astley one also was shocked when I saw what Rick Astley looked like. Um, that was mm-hmm. also shocking because it has a booming black man's voice from a booming black American man's voice. Um, right. And, and this thin redheaded Englishman's uh, body. And I like I didn't like re- like I I didn't get it. I'm like, but he doesn't sound at all like he's. English. I know what people I know what English people sound like, mom. Like, he doesn't sound You're like right. a fucking English person. And she's like, no, he's English. Um, but it also I can't remember if this was the same conversation because I have this very distinct memory that it, almost the like almost the uh, the other option here was Nana, uh, ninety nine yeah. Balloons that. Right. That I, I and I feel like it might have been a sim I, might, I feel like it might have been the same conversation on a car ride to some place when I was when I was like you know maybe like six or seven. That she, my mom was like, yeah. When we were um, when we adopted you in Honduras, that was like one of the songs that we were surprised that we heard in English in Honduras was oh, wow. ninety nine, not ninety nine Balloons, ninety nine red balloons. Like was on. Not necessarily, you know, whatever sort of municipal radio station they got, they heard it. Mm -hmm. Um, Oh, that is really interesting. Now, so I, so I think that might have been the same conversation about, like, yeah, we just thought it was kind of odd that this, like, this, you know, this German, this German, you know, this German uh, artist and German song, isn't in a Spanish-speaking country, isn't being played in its native language, that it's being played in English.
1: Yeah, no, that is, uh, number one, that in itself is very unusual, but for, to make that connection to that, like, specific moment and everything like that in Honduras is, it's actually pretty beautiful, man, I'm not gonna lie, like, that is some very, that's a heartwarming kind of stuff right there. Well, um, I guess, <laughs> I don't know
0: that, but, yeah, so so it's either for me, Rick Astley, or Nana, and, uh, of course, for you, George Michael, <laughs> that's no one that, that probably you would have expected.
1: No, exactly, yeah, the Rick Astley thing makes sense to me, there are songs from that particular era that I can remember like hearing on the radio or via somebody's like record player or tapes or whatever. Yeah. That song fits, that song fits in there. um, It fits in there more. Like, I think that that makes a little bit more sense to me than, than Naina, because I, I am like Naina to me was an eighth grade, like, Hey guys, there's a German song that was actually popular in the States here. Let's check it out. You know, there's like something we learned about in class. So um, the Rick Astley thing—that's a—that's definitely on point. Like I, I, can even remember that song being played when I was younger too. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
0: So who was your, who was the first non-American artist that you included amongst your favorites? Okay, I'm so, guessing not George Michael.
1: No, it's not George Michael. Um, this came much later when I was like buying CDs and kind of consciously picking artists to listen to, and. I have had Bush and Silverchair. Like I got into them right around the same time I bought their CDs right around the same time. Silverchair being from Australia, yep. Bush obviously being from England. So this was they were easily the first two non-American band CDs that I bought.
0: Oh, very nice. Very. I think I think um Silverchair would have been up there amongst the first non-American CDs that I bought for sure. Um but I I actually I, again, as a, to as I mentioned at the very opening, of this I'm I've always been a big metalhead, and for me it was Judas Priest was like one of my first nice. favorite bands, um, that was not American, um, and they still to this day remain a favorite of mine. Um, they're just fucking awesome. But you're oh, yeah. yeah, like it. It was interesting. There was for a while there, a lot of our a lot of alt rock bands were either English or Australian. Like a lot of them mm-hmm. that were popping up were English or Australian. Which I'm not really sure the why behind that, but there are a bunch.
1: Yeah, no, isn't that right around that time in like the mid '90s and stuff? Like we had Natalie and Bruglia tore it the hell up, and there were mm-hmm. Spice Girls and everything. And I mean, there was like this own little kind of second British, British invasion, invasion yep. kind of thing going on in the '90s and stuff. So, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You buying you buying Silverchair is like your first Australian, like that totally makes sense to me. Yep. Like, I, I Silverchair by far was my first one. Um, the Judas Priest thing also makes sense too. That's right around the time, you know, like, um, Judas Priest just being around like pretty much our entire duration of life. So you could, you could have gotten onto them early and just stuck with it. They were playing their songs on the radio. So it wasn't like one of these dark cryptic metal bands that you had to buy a CD to listen to.
0: Exactly. It's kind of funny. Um, it's kind of funny because they were not like they were amongst the first metal bands that were on the radio, but thinking about sort of, like, the Stranger Things thing, um, the Metallica thing, like, that song would not have been on the radio in 1986. Um, obviously, Eddie had, like, a tape form or whatever, but, like, that would, not that would, it, you know, it fits for that character, but, like, a lot of that metal was not on the radio in the mid-1980s.
1: Oh, God, no. Not a, not a fucking chance. And if it was, it was that, like, graveyard shift radio dj and stuff that's like hey by the way now let's listen to the new slayer metallica here three o'clock in the morning let's right. do it you know, All, the closest you
0: had at that point was like the glam rock glam metal at that point right. and that was it yeah exactly
1: and that stuff was way more radio friendly than anything really metallica that right. he just put out
0: so <clears throat> so why do you think we're getting more and more foreign acts crossing into the american uh, music mainstream
1: Okay. All right. So here we go. Got some, got some ones to list off here. The first one, first and foremost, our country as a whole is getting way more diverse in general. Mm. So so like if we are getting more diverse, it only makes sense that more diverse artists from other countries are catching it big over here too. It just kind of, it just kind of makes sense to me like that these kind of this correlation would run together. Mm -hmm. Um, I do think that um, on top of our own country diversifying, I think that like a lot of these musical styles from other countries that make it over here are kind of sort of in line with the styles that are popular today. And I'm not talking about like British alternative rock stuff or whatever. I mean, that, that sound never really changes. It just kind of becomes different or whatever. But in terms of like more electronic driven music, it's like it's almost like the rest of the world was kind of like ahead of us in certain regards with electronic music, and it, this has been like a, a, an argument and discussion that I've heard about like my entire life. I've kind of read of different like little variations of that sentence, mm-hmm. but for the most part, like th- when the music is electronic, the rest of the world is kind of ahead of us. So I think that we're. It's like America and this notion of European bands kind of being ahead of us is it's kind of sort of meeting to a certain degree where now we are fans of this music from overseas that we weren't necessarily fans of all that long ago. And it's um, it's, its catching up to us. And like, of course, we've seen obviously, we've seen artists branch out um into America and have crossover success here in America. But if we look at like, I think if we like really look at it, like nana's ninety nine loof balloons, ninety nine red balloons. Yeah, like that song is really great. But it's also like kind of like one of these songs that's relevant to the times of the 80s. There is this whole thing, 99 Balloons. It's kind of like this gimmicky title. So I could see that song ma- realistically making some success over here. When you look at some of the more like um, Latin invasion style artists, like the music itself, that there's just sometimes you really can't go wrong with it. Like it's really, it's up tempo. It's very, very happy. It's lively. It's, in many ways nostalgic of like people's like vacations and things like that, especially when you incorporate like steel drums and various forms of instruments. Mm -hmm. So like, I think that, you know, things like people like Ricky Martin experience success in America, it it totally makes sense to me that style of music. Like it just kind of captures this audience, you know, and and it offers like a lot to people like, Hey, be happy. Listen to this music, feel joyful. It gives people, you know, it's not upsetting. It's not like fucking Coldplay. So like, um, when you like when you think about like what i just said here like yeah like you know it, it makes sense for those people to have this breakout success but what we're seeing more of um, in, in recent times and even like with coachella's lineup and some of these festival lineups becoming more diverse is like you're really seeing the the styles of music that are more you know more like um i guess more like assigned to other cultures other countries and like america's appreciation of those kind of music i think we're like seeing these two planes kind of collide
0: i gotcha i gotcha i like that you took the romantic view of this um i mean you're not wrong at all like i you're definitely not wrong especially with the as, as america gets more as america gets more diverse and um and, and, you know, those and more of those, um, you know, those enclaves, the certain cultural enclaves like seek more of their own music and seek to then make their own music um, mm-hmm. here in the United States. I mean, you're definitely not wrong at all. But I do think this is a significantly more analytical reason behind it. Um, and it's because of YouTube and social media and how YouTube's algorithms are they are effective. Um, that's all I'll say. They're very yeah. effective algorithms. So if you uh, if you do find yourself listening to BTS, then you're going to get um, like, oh, gosh, I don't even try to drop K-pop boy band names because I'm not uh, half of them are all letters and numbers anyway. Um, so, like, right. you know, you're so like if you're into a couple of BTS songs or whatever, you're going to get fed another Korean pop act and another Korean pop act, and another Korean pop act. And then they're going to go, you know what? Why don't you why don't you start listening to this pop act that's from, you know, I don't know, fucking Taiwan or something. Like, mm-hmm. there is there is a very analytical reason behind, behind it. As we sort of get at least – as consumers get at least more used to the idea that a Korean boy band can be the most popular band in the world, then it, it, it gives those algorithms a chance to suggest more and expose people to more. And kind of whether or not they actually want it, they're going to be getting that in their YouTube channels, in their social <laughs> media feeds. It's going to be in front of them everywhere. And – then the more those people interact with it, the more likely someone who, you know, whoever's, what, what are the, um <clears throat> one of the fucking nerds that is in fact working for Lollapalooza's, um, um, you know, booking agencies and everything else is going to go, well, you have to get this unknown Korean boy band because their social engagement has gone up 4- 450% in the last six months. So it would be stupid not to get to the forefront of getting this act in front of American audiences. Um, Mm -hmm. so as like this landscape becomes, the media landscape becomes more, um, more tech savvy, more driven by algorithms, more globalized, we are just going to, whether we want it or not, we are going to be given more of it. And there's nothing wrong with it. I'm not saying this is a bad thing. It's just a a sort of a consequence of the way, of the way that, that we choose to, uh, ingest our music now, which is increasingly, you know, more, less, less than the radio, and more on streaming services, and obviously on stuff like YouTube, um, those sort of decisions are almost being made for us. So you like BTS, here come 10 more Korean boy bands. That, um, And not even just boy bands, just 10 more Korean pop acts, that um, whether or not you want them, you're going to be listening to them.
1: Oh yeah, dude, we are um, beholden to the algorithm. That is for fucking sure. Especially if you are just you know, uh, strolling through YouTube, checking out videos and stuff like that. And you're right. Like, you know, uh, and believe me, like music videos today, I'm sure because they are, um, and I mean, not it's just been, I guess, a formula for YouTube music videos all the time to get your attention, to be lavish, to do really, really cool things. I, no joke. I have watched only a handful of music videos, I think in the last like little bit of time, um, maybe since we did our music episode and I saw the new Florence at the Machine video when I was at the gym the other day. So, like, I mean, if you're locked on to, like, what is a really cool fucking video, you are just going to be fed more and more of, like, the same stuff. You know, the same artists, the same style of music and everything. And as more and more people engage with music videos on YouTube, it only makes sense that the um, – you know, that these algorithms and that these artists from other countries are just going to pop into our feed, whether whether we have any say about it or not.
0: Yeah. I mean, why do you think Mason Ramsey was at Lollapalooza or at Lollapalooza? Oh. Coachella, right? Coachella.
1: Yeah, it's always oh, strictly because of the um, online popularity yep. stuff. Oh, yeah, you bet. There's there are people in that um, on that lineup and stuff that. I had never ever heard of in my entire life like this dude uh Strome, Stromae S T R O M A E's this dude from Belgium mm-hmm. this guy played like a primetime fucking set in Lollapalooza <laughs> I mean in, at Coachella and stuff and had a lot of goddamn people there so for somebody that I have never heard of social um, engagement got him there yeah that's exactly right dude and like I I guess I'm just a little more old school in my discoveries of music or whatever oh, same like, here
0: same here but, I, I we've i think we've talked about this before i rarely rarely use youtube for anything other than right. like movie trailers
1: yeah I, I probably had music movie trailers and like how to videos like, Yeah, because yeah, they're that amazing too. for fucking how to videos yep. <laughs> so, so like the um so this whole thing and this way of discovering music, while it's absolutely huge and very, very effective, this is just get off my lawn, Adam, coming out here. I, I'm more used to just reading oh, about something sure. and then going on Apple Music and sampling a couple songs and seeing if I like it. I,
0: I am. I am the the one algorithm that I do find for me that definitely works for new discovery is whenever um, whenever I get notified that someone on my like my you know most listened to playlist or whatever on Spotify gets like they release something new it then puts together a playlist based off of like some of the newer stuff that they think I might like and okay. that's generally a big hit for me like in terms yeah. of in terms of either just maybe not even like new artist discovery but like oh shit I didn't even realize that Toby Nagway put out a new you know put out a new song um yeah, or you yeah. know whatever else you know like that seems to work pretty well for me but like I don't engage with YouTube and I don't I don't let Instagram like determine you know, what, uh, what kind of music I'm listening to. I, I, so, so yeah. So like, I'm, I'm a little bit farther up that, that, that road than you are probably, but still very much. I'm telling certain people to get the fuck off my lawn.
1: Oh, without a doubt, dude, you have, you haven't, you have to and stuff. And it's just like, what we're kind of conditioned to, I guess, like,
0: and at some point in
1: time, could this change? I'm not going to rule it out, but I'm just saying that I don't necessarily know at this point in time, if I'm there yet, I've just gotten so used to my, hey, Pitchfork, or hey, Stereo Gum says Mm -hmm. so-and-so is awesome, why not go check them out? Or, in terms of the algorithms, I will always turn to um, listening to a Death Grips album on Spotify and letting it play out for 20 minutes after it's done, because that, I still, I know we've talked about this before, I will trumpet it until I can no longer trumpet. The algorithm that comes off of Death Grips is one of the best Spotify algorithms you could fucking find. You get, a, you get th- at least the shit you get off there.
0: Yeah, you get at least like three distinct sort of genres of musicians that will follow a Death Grips album. Like three mm-hmm. distinct.
1: Easily. You get like some hard rap stuff. I get some punk stuff. I get metal. And then like I get this really dark and depressing post punky kind of stuff, like mm-hmm. singers with really deep voices. And I'm just like, Spotify. I don't know what you're doing here, but fucking keep it up, bro.
0: It's I'm a those, fan. those fucking Swedes, man. They know what they're doing. They know what they're they, doing. They, if you really want to get into something, the Swedes took over the music industry 30 years ago, and they haven't <laughs> fucking let go of it since.
1: And good for fucking them. Yeah. <laughs>
0: <So>. <laughs> All right. So, what non-English song will you still have rolling around in your head when you're in your fucking 80s?
1: Well, it's been in my head for close to 20 years now, 18 years, and there are a few that I could have chose from, but... A song that I find myself literally humming or singing or doing a parody of in some way, shape, or form is by the Five, Six, Seven, Eights, the Woohoo song from Kill Bill Volume One. It's the band that's playing in the House of Blue Leaves before the big showdown with the crazy 88 and stuff. And it's been in a couple of uh, commercials. Like I remember like a car commercial, but uh, just that whole Woohoo, Woohoo, Woohoo. I'll be singing that forever or I'll be making parody songs about that forever. And I believe me ever since you sent me the outline, it's been in and out of my head at least twice a day.
0: Gotcha. I'm, I'm kind of surprised you went that direction. Um, but also not surprised. You really are going to remember that song over the Macarena.
1: The Macarena is all in Spanish. Yeah. Oh yeah, it is. Yeah. Honestly, I, (laughs) I, no, I hadn't heard about it. Like, dude, the, yeah, I honestly, I would remember that over the Macarena. I, The Macarena is like one of these things that um, I know that it was a very, very popular song, but since it came equipped with a dance, I view it as like almost like a snap bracelet. Like it's kind of like one of these things that um, is lost in time until somebody else brings it up. I, I don't really have a lot of conscious awareness of the Macarena because of the gimmicky stuff that's like associated with it.
0: 14 Weeks is the number one song in the U.S.
1: I completely believe it. And I, now that you mentioned that, I'm going back to that time period in our lives, which would have been like seventh, eighth grade. And you could not escape that goddamn song. It was not ridiculous.
0: Ridiculous. And that, yeah. and that technically is like the, uh, the U S release is technically like the remix or whatever. Like the, the original Los Del Rio song was from like 1993 or four, I want to say. So okay. it, it did take, it did take a couple of years and some gussying up to get to pop in America. Because it is the the OG Macarena is definitely more aligned with like with what would have been Mexican pop music at the time. Yeah, I
1: gotcha. Yeah, 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 dude. I, I understand what you're saying. Yep, that's a that's a really good choice. Um, now that you brought it up, it's I will not be able to stop singing that song for at least a couple days. I, it's already <laughs> it's already in my head. Got you got to do the dance now.
0: That's that's <laughs> that's the requirement when you hear it. Um, yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. Um so let's speaking of which, speaking of Mexico, let's move on to Noise from Our Neighbors. Uh doing a little uh Mexican uh Mexican-Canadian music talk here. Um we obviously did a whole episode about like Canadian you know movies and TV shows. Didn't I don't think really other than like some cursory mentions, we didn't really touch on a lot of Canadian music. Um, but I know we did a little bit. Um so this is our chance here. Um we're gonna talk about our neighbors, obviously. Our our two closest neighbors. And then there's a little section here we'll get to, a little shout-out for our friends in Puerto Rico, too. Um, so, Chema, if if there was a worldwide, you know, version of Eurovision, you know, an all, and it's an all-time song contest, so the person you can pick, the person or people or groups, whatever you pick, can be dead or alive, who do you think is representing Mexico and representing Canada in this worldwide all-time music contest?
1: Okay, so Canada, I have Leslie Feist, who is a singer. She was in this um, band called Broken Social Scene. She has since branched off as a solo artist. Leslie Feist has won Juno Awards out the ass and is like is a very popular kind of indie rock performer in Canada. Um, her album, The Remainder, which came out in 2007, this is like one of these like seminal indie rock albums. And I had this kind of theory which i'll just give you the like you know kind of the brunt of is that this album the remainder sparked this whole new kind of wave of female singer songwriters and stuff and um i know that there were female singer songwriters and stuff before the remainder and there will be no like there weren't thousand, any, actually not at all right <laughs> no, not not. At all. <laughs> so like um so her the way that The Remainder sounds, and especially with this large range of sounds that it encompasses, I've seen a lot of very, very similar um, kind of trends following in its footsteps. And I, I, who knows? We may have would have gotten there without The Remainder. I just choose to believe that The Remainder was this kind of benchmark album. And if this album didn't come around, we we probably wouldn't have like Phoebe Bridgers. We wouldn't have like artists like that, especially that are as popular as Phoebe Bridgers is. So mm-hmm. I, I, the remainder is um, it's a landmark album. Leslie Fleiss is one hell of a fucking voice. Even her style, the way she dresses is totally like, an, like it almost seems like an influence, like the way that indie female musicians even seem to dress and sort of the way they sound. So, um, she by far and away would lead our neighbors to the North in this, this competition. And then in um, Mexico, I'm going strictly from a personal preference. Cause I know that there are a lot more successful Mexican recording artists, but on a personal favorite level, this singer named Carla Morrison, who is, wonderful absolutely beautiful voice um we've mentioned her before during our cover songs episode she does this amazing all in spanish cover of the velvet underground's pale blue eyes and i could not be more fan of this fucking song i could not love this woman's voice any more than i do so i am going to put feist and carla morrison head to head in this sing-off
0: Interesting, very interesting. Um, Car- yeah, I do remember you mentioned Carla Morrison before. Um, uh, interesting, cho- not a bad choice whatsoever. I think your choice of Feist is very much a fifth or sixth option in Canadian fe- in Canadian female artists. And the fact that you somehow put Celine Dion on the bench, the all time greatest Canadian female musician ever to exist, also French Canadian. We have to include our friends in in uh, in Quebec. Um, you greatly overlooked the influence that Celine Dion has on artists like Feist. And oh, I believe. If Celine Dion doesn't exist, that. Feist doesn't exist. Shania Twain doesn't exist. Who is, in fact, my backup for this? Um, <laughs> so I, you, I think you greatly overlooked the the sort of the OG um, female singer in terms of in terms of modern. Uh, well, I guess there really isn't like a a pre a pre sixties pop Canada scene whatsoever. Um, so I, I think you're greatly overlooking her there, but, um, Carla Morrison's an excellent choice. Um, so Celine Dion for Canada, Carla Morrison's an excellent choice. Um, she was, she, I remember her popping up as I was kind of considering some other people, um, behind my number one here. Um, she was on the list there as well, but my number one for Mexico, you have, I would guarantee you, you have probably heard his music throughout your entire life without realizing it. And it's Vicente Fernandez. The sort mm-hmm. of the El Rey de, Mex- de Mexico, the the idol of Mexico, the the king of Rancherías, uh, Um If you have ever been in a Mexican restaurant in your entire life, you have heard sure. Vicente Fernandez music in, in the background. That's sort of that's sort of more classic, usually a single guitar and singer. Um, you know, it, it, essentially, this is like Mexican folk music, right? Mm-hmm. Um, this was the, Vicente Fernandez would have been the Bob Dylan of Mexico is essentially what if you were to make a draw a direct comparison um oh, and yeah. Vicente Fernandez was a he died just recently i want to say last the end of last year um he essentially had he had hits in Mexico for like 60 straight years that were like charting um this dude was a fucking monster and when you think of like what the sound of mexico is Vicente, Vicente Fernandez is the sound of mexico um, I, I think, hands down, you know, a, a tie to Mexican folk, you know, Mexican um, folk music, Mexican, you know, older Mexican history and sort of, you know, someone who bridged that sort of modern that, that modern gap as well. So Vicente Fernandez. Um, I'm you know, this was interesting. So I'm actually going to go ahead and use Carla Morrison as my backup, because okay. a lot of when you get to when you get to a lot of the other like top charting artists from Mexico, certainly they have a certain sound to them. But like when you think of like Talia or Paulina Rubio or someone like that, mm-hmm. I, I, I think more in a very sort of in a very in a way that this happens to all pop singers. they it, it's it's a little Mexican and it's more Latin, flatly Latin music. To I gotcha because they want to sell it beyond the borders of Mexico. So oh yeah, so Paul in you know like you've and Paulina Paul, excuse me Paulina Rubio is probably an artist you have heard of. And you've probably heard her music before, um, simply because it is sort of portable to much more portable than Vicente Fernandez's, um, you know, so lone guitar folk music from the 1950s. So so like you. So when I think of like, you know, Paulina Rubio has a lot of like chart topping songs in Mexico and is like a big time selling artist. I don't think of her as being like the best representation of what Mexican music is necessarily. So I'm going to go with Carla Morrison as my backup here.
1: Very, very nice, dude. Hell yeah. Glad to see uh, Carla getting a little love on your list and everything. I, I did go with Talia as my runner-up and everything, the Latin queen of mm-hmm. pop or whatever she calls herself and stuff. So, the, and like, and the stuff that, y- you know, you're right. And a lot of the songs that I did hear from her are way infused with a lot more than just like your traditional, like Mexican kind of yeah. beats and rhythms and sounds and stuff. There is a very, very worldly kind of... Um, sound uh, catalog for talia to kind of choose from and stuff like there's, that there's a lot of different things going on
0: there's a lot of especially like right now there's a lot of um be they puerto rican or mexican or colombian the the sound of a lot of like pop stars of latin pop stars now is kind of it, it definitely sounds very very similar no matter the region they're from and uh, again obviously because they want to sell this to as many places as they can. So you kind of go, especially in the United States. So you want to sort of flatten it out so it's not, so so someone like Jay Balvin isn't making Colombian music, he's making Latin music.
1: Right. <laughs> that, that, that's a really good, yes. They they're really working to get that Latin music title on there because, hey, people will buy Latin stuff. They're not going to buy Colombian music, music where they hear Columbia, think yes. cocaine. Like right. they want to hear Latin music and think the islands vacation, their honeymoon stuff like that.
0: Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> There's it, it's much more flexible. It's a much more flexible title for music um, than than, you know, than saying, um, you know, than, than declaring Shakira's music Argentinian. Just correct. Calling it Latin is much more flexible than Argentinian.
1: That's exactly true. The the Latin category—that's like a really, really big
0: umbrella that they're casting there. Exactly. I'm—I'm not going to lie to you. I'm a little upset that you you didn't go with Celine Dion, but
1: (sighs) yeah, it's like I'll tell you. I intentionally went off of that road. I figured number one, you would mention her name and stuff, and the other thing too is that. The music just really do like it doesn't mean all that much to me. Like I mean, I know the songs, I probably know all the lyrics to my heart will go on, but just in general, it's it's kind of overlooked because of how popular it act, because of how popular it is to me. It's just like, yeah, okay, she had her thing, that's great, but I feel that there are just other voices out there oh, that are Oh,
0: for sure. But if you were to yeah. sort of go with the best of in a best of competition.
1: Oh, I believe me, I I have no <laughs> problem Saludio. with my decision. <laughs> Yeah, I'd I'd still, I'd put Feist up there any day. Like, that's just me, but I'd do it.
0: So who should people be listening to now from either country? And very strong preference for people that don't speak English.
1: Okay, so we'll start off with Canada. This band I was aware of a little bit ago. um, It gave this episode gave me the opportunity to dive into them a little bit more they're called dumb batik they are a um basically it's hip-hop but it's a french language hip-hop group and it's actually one of the first um to uh come out of canada at least according to their wikipedia page and um they are uh it's two guys are the core members this guy D um jérôme philippe Bellinia and O.T.M.C., who is Usamane, uh, tr- I, that I'm not even, familiar, Triore, I guess, Triore. I,
0: I'm um, looking at their, yeah, I'm looking at their names right now as well. I'm not good with French, so. Yeah,
1: <laughs> I'm I, I, not good with that either. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so the, um, One thing that I think is particularly interesting about this group, not only the album sounds absolutely fantastic and like I'll rip some names from the Wikipedia page and like jazz hip hop fusion. They quoted a a tribe called Quest on Wikipedia, which I I definitely see Mm -hmm. that I kind of use like I kind of view this jazz hip hop stuff as maybe like a slightly more like um like refined hip-hop or whatever it's it's not as raw in terms of the sound it's definitely like some really cool production value in there um but what i also love about this and i've been this is something i get a kick out of is that apple music for you essential albums now sometimes they get it 100 percent right and i Totally agree with it. Sometimes it's like, what the fuck, you know, but they don't do it for every band. Like there's a lot of bands out there that no essential albums on Apple Music. These guys do have one and their album called um, The Force de Comprende, meaning um, The Strength to Understand is labeled as an essential album by Apple, which I absolutely love. So that means that somewhere out there, this album means enough to people for the Apple, the people who design the algorithms and all the shit at Apple to label this as an essential album, which, I mean, I guess they only have four. So if you are going to pick one of them, this is probably the one to go with. But um, in general, this um, this band, I think, is very, very good. And if we're talking about what you need to check out right now, a Canadian French hip hop act is um, with really cool, interesting sounding music is 100% um, up everybody's alley. I,
0: I, I love the recommendation. I'm, I've already got them dialed up on Spotify. Um, you know, so I, so I can listen to them at some point in time here. Um, they, they've been around for a while too. Um, that kind of surprised me.
1: Yeah, that, um, I gotta say the length around was something that I was a little bit shocked by myself too. Um, Number one, because I would have thought I maybe would have heard about them earlier, um, right. which I my just in general. This is a rare, fairly recent thing for me, and um, I kind of expected a little bit more material from them too. There's only a handful of albums, and usually, if you're around that long, there's a, like a, a pretty impressive discography, you know, like a, a significant part of the time. But for them to only have four albums, um, it says one of two things. It either says that like you know, the, the, the band is just problems, you know, they're making music and stuff. It happens or that the stuff is really, really good and so good that they only come out with albums every now and then. So yeah, that there's mm-hmm. one one to two. Those are usually the first two directions I go whenever I see somebody who's been around for a while with a small discography.
0: I wonder I, I wonder if it's also in part because at that point in time, the Canadian acts were you had a lot more like alt rock acts coming out of Canada at that point in time, too, that they just kind of got not like swallowed, but just almost like passed over.
1: That's easily could have happened. If you were to have this album, um, you know, the uh, means or means to understand the strength to understand. If you were to have that come out today, it would be a world of difference. I mean, hip hop in general is bigger today than it's ever been. And it's way bigger than rock is. And sorry, people, but that is just kind of the, the cold, the cold, cold of life right there. <laughs> yeah. So like this album today They would be headlining Coachella. They would be all over the place um, if this album came out today. And not going to lie, like the idea that it's a French abstract hip hop group, um, that is pitchfork. That is fresh meat to fucking pitchfork. Like even as I say that, I could just feel like the pitchfork gods that watch over my apartment. They're just like drooling. Oh over yes. That. God, a Fr- French rappers. Oh my God. Who, you know, unbuttoning a couple buttons on the shirt, you know? So like that's, um, this would be something that people would fawn all over yeah. today. Like white, white hipsters. Oh my God. You oh, guys are a fucking treat for you. Big <laughs> yeah, hit in <laughs> Brooklyn. <laughs> uh,
0: dub for sure. Yeah. Oh God. Yeah. All right. So how about, uh, how about, uh, how about from Mexico? Okay. So from Mexico, um,
1: I found a, a really cool fucking punk band. They're called Tijuana. No, with the exclamation point after no. Mm-hmm. And they have a album called Contra Revolucion Avenue that came out in 1998. Uh, this is like the best band that I can make a comparison is this band called the voodoo glow skulls, which are like, I have to throw Ska in there because when you go to Voodoo Glow Skulls, it says, it mentions Ska. When you go to the Tequila No um, or Tijuana No uh, Wikipedia page, it also references ska. Hmm. And I would say that it's ska more in the sense that there are, like, trumpets and stuff like that involved. The music is still very, very much, like, loud and distorted three-chord punk rock.
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: the Voodoo the voodoo Glow Skulls are this band from Southern California that does, like, a similar format, where it's, like, you're hearing, like, a rocking punk rock melody, and then there's uh, trumpets and horns like and stuff like that as the lead instrument. So this Tijuana No band follows a very similar format. I think a lot of people... When they hear ska, they either think the mighty mighty Boston's, which is that like high pitched tick kind of ska with that's supplemented by horns, or they think of something that's more in the vein of like dance hall reggae, which is like I think New York street ska if I'm not mistaken. So like this um, ska music that is still very like, but it's slower. There's still horns, but it's not as um, it's not as modernized nor as stylized to be popular in the sense that the mighty, mighty boss is real big fish less than Jake's version of ska is. And also on this um, record called Contra Revolucion Avenue from 1998, there is a beautiful cover of the Clash's Spanish bombs, which is in English. That'd so say about 50% it's about 50, 50 split on the album between um, English and Spanish. And this cover of the Clash's Spanish bombs is wonderful.
0: Like it, like a Tijuana. No, I'll definitely have to check them out. Um I, you know, it is really interesting the bands that get kind of l- like lumped under ska, like oh, just yeah. <laughs> because you have a fucking trumpet or a horn, you get your ska. But like, yeah. Anyway, um I'll definitely have to check them out. How? Now, when? When did they get their start? You said that album was like '98.
1: Yeah, this was in '98, so there's a couple albums before that. So they are '90s to I think disbanded in the 2000s, or maybe disbanded but still doing like reunion shows, stuff like that.
0: Gotcha, gotcha. Um, Like it. So there you go, Tequila No and um, Dubmatique. Chema's choices. Love the selections. Um, I'm gonna. I'll start with Mexico. We'll, we'll, We'll we'll go reverse order here. Uh, I'm going to start with a um, a producer uh, uh, named Camilo Lara, um, who goes by the um, you know who goes by the I guess the the, the stage name the Mexican Institute of Sound, um, or a lot of times you'll see his um, his albums uh, just titled like labeled MIS. Um, he's a very very interesting uh, producer because it's it's there's a heavy sort of emphasis. On Mexican folk music, and mm-hmm. how he blends it in with a lot of electronic and a lot of pop music, and he is extraordinarily skillful that he can weave. I first heard him; he's on the um, he's on the Metallica Black album, um, the okay. the or the Blacklist um, with all the covers, and yeah, the fact that he very seamlessly blends in Mexican folk Mexican folk chords electronic music into sad, but true is very, very interesting. Like there is Mm -hmm. even the stuff that sort of leans more towards like Mexican folk music is a very interesting interpretation of what it is. This is sort of like, um, this is, this is almost like abstract painting in sound form. It's very, very interesting. But he can also, you know, again, as a a producer, he can also sort of stick with more more traditional electronic beats, pop beats, hip-hop beats, whatever. But there's always, without a doubt, there's a stamp, a signature of any of his music because there will be more traditional Mexican folk music sort of blended in with it. It's not, um, like, I I don't think Talia or Paulina Rubio would necessarily (laughs) um, use one of his tracks because it doesn't sound, it doesn't have that generic quote-unquote Latin sound. It has a very distinct Mexican sound to it. So that's Mm -hmm. the Mexican Institute of Sound, aka Camilo Lara. Yeah,
1: I have heard that name before. I didn't know the Camilo Lara part. I didn't know the producer's name behind it, but I have heard Mm -hmm. the the MIS and stuff. I've seen that around before. And I gotta say, while I cannot speak to what this, I cannot speak to this music specifically, but I am well aware of acoustic songs being remixed and kind of turned into dance kind of electronica songs. And I heard a cover of Neil Young's Harvest Moon that was done by a DJ that I mouth hit the floor. It was so fucking good. Mm -hmm. So if this is going to be a trend of um, infusing electronica with more folky style guitars or turning folk music more electronic I'm kind of into this because I've I've listened to some kind of not so good or some on the predictable side of folk and electronic put together, and it's just it doesn't really like suit me all that well. But now that I've heard this um, Harvest Moon cover, I'm a little bit more into this um, into this concept that I was before. So this is something I could definitely see myself getting into.
0: I think the simplicity of folk music lends it to the producers being able to do more with it. Um, whereas if you, you know, I, I mean, it just sort of makes sense, right? If you have more complicated music, there's yeah. more to strip away and it's harder to manipulate it. When it is, you know, when you think of like, again, just to, just to bring it back to Vicente Fernandez's music, it's very simplistic and straightforward. There's not much going on in it. Um, so it's much easier to manipulate and like use it to weave it in and out of other music or, um, you mm-hmm. know, how, you know, I met- I know you mentioned before, you um, how a lot of DJs are, you know, they'll use vocals as sort of an instrument. Well, you can, yeah. you can sort of, manip- you know, you can warp a really simple chord and, you know, change it. So it's more like a beat as opposed to, you know, just like a, a chord as opposed to like string arrangement or whatever. It's you can, the simpler it is, the more things you can do with it. Oh, definitely. And if if you're
1: looking at something that is just a voice and a guitar you could easily and then in those situations, too, especially where the voice is very prominent, the voice is also the lead instrument of the the, the freaking song, too. Mm-hmm. So if you could separate those two and do something cool with them, which you're probably going to be able to do based on the simplicity alone, there's just way more room to Take a song like that and break it apart—a simple, maybe two to three chord song—and break it up. Then it would be a song like "Mrs. Robinson," which is a little bit more complicated mm-hmm. of a guitar or guitar part. Yeah,
0: yeah, exactly. Um, I, you know, it's a lot easier for it's a lot easier for a builder to use raw materials and stuff that's finished um, to yeah. build something. So, um, so there you go. Uh, and for Canada here, I'm going to go. Um, I'm going to I'm going to go to. We I've talked about the hallucination enough. And also, they do more, much more English language stuff. So I'm gonna go to one of their frequent collabor- uh, collaborators. Uh, they go by either Black Bear or the Black Bear Singers. Um, they're a they're a First Nations um, they're a First Nations uh, a tribe. I believe they're I hope I'm pronouncing this right. I think I am uh, a, um, a, a tribe, and like that's also their language, a Tichimequa, and mm-hmm. that's like what they they do more traditional tribal music. And it's all in their native tongue. Apparently, if you're they're uh, from uh, Quebec, and apparently if you're in like northern Quebec, you could hear a ticamequa being spoken like a lot of places. It's still, um, it's still like a, a pretty thriving language in, in that part of Canada. And mm-hmm. so they they do work with the hallucination quite a bit. Um, but even even um, with their involvement, it's not really like sort of turn. It's not they're not really the focus isn't turning it into more of like an electronic or hip hop song. It's really their influence in their music is much more subtle because they want to put like the singers and the native language and like the native songs at the forefront. So really it's like, it's a very subtle sort of weaving of, of hallucinations music in the background. And the, uh, they're, they're in a lot of shit. Black bear singers are great. Um, I all, whenever I go out, like, if I know I'm going to be out like on a long, like off trail hike, that is like black bear singers are one of the first groups I'll go to. Just sort of to put something on that is like much like I, I like, I'm not gonna like jam fucking Josiah and like his angry rap music while I'm out in the woods. This is like, it is one of those things that sort of gets you in the mental mood to sort of like enjoy nature. Like, you are, you yeah. know, you're, I mean, that's probably what they're singing about. I, I don't know anything about the language, could not fucking tell you, but it really does sort of does sort of put you in the mind frame to enjoy some of the things that you're seeing when you're out when you're out in the out in the wilderness by yourself
1: yeah their album from 2011 is called out of hibernation so Mm. if there's ever an album title for that's meant for to be in the woods it's seriously that right there yeah
0: it's you know and it's again it's not like this isn't like stuff that i'm gonna put on my car like while i'm driving around i mean it literally is you're talking they have like some collaborative albums with other tribes like they have intertribal uh powwows and stuff it, mm-hmm. is, it is really what you think about um, when you think about the more stereotypical, quote unquote, um, sort of um, Native American music. This is what they're this is sort of what you would think about is this kind of stuff. And it's yeah. really, really engaging. It's really great. And it's sort of in the same way that sort of, um, um, you know, like going to the opera is sort of like a step out of your normal music routine. You know what? You want to see something different, experience something different. This is a mm-hmm. good way to see and experience something different.
1: Okay, I got you. Yeah, I'm gonna. I got this uh, brought up here on my computer. I'm going to check this out later because I am. I'm, i There's a place for music like this in my usual rotation and stuff like that, and I kind of sort of can think of what it sounds like, and I'm I'm intrigued to know if I'm right or wrong. So I'm going to go into this blind a little bit later on today. If
0: you're if you're real curious about if you want like a good stepping stone, there's a there's a hallucination black bear and. Oh gosh, it's someone someone else that that chips in a lot a lot in the like the Canadian indigenous scene. Um they have a song called The OG that is definitely a hip hop song with mm-hmm. with the um with the Black Bear singers providing um you know, providing basically they're singing is like another instrument in the song. Um that's pretty fucking awesome. Like it's a protest song, pretty fucking awesome. Yeah. Hell
1: yeah, dude. Very, very nice. Yeah, I'm all about this kind of stuff. This is great.
0: Uh, so let's just give a quick shout out to Puerto Rico. Um, I, I don't know. I, I mean, like, they're I, they're a part of the United States, so like it's kind of hard to to like you know call them like a foreign country, obviously, and like because they're a part of the United States, the crossover is so significant. Like you you know Jennifer Lopez is Puerto Rican, but she's from New York. Um, you know what I mean? Like it, it's right. well, it's yeah. difficult to call her like a, a a Puerto Rican artist, but she definitely is a Puerto Rican artist. So let's just do a little quick shout out to Puerto Rico here. Anybody that you just at all, doesn't matter. It could be new, old, old act. Anyone that you just want to like give a little dap to while we're here.
1: Well, let's give a shout out to Ricky Martin. He's the go. only person that I was able to, that I could think of off the top of my head that was actually from Puerto Rico that I had listened to. And, Oh, you're right. Like a lot of other people that are from Puerto Rico, like Mark Anthony and like Fat Joe and stuff like that, yep. they're from New York. From New York. So yep. like New York, they're God. New Yorkers. Yeah, like I—that's uh, really good. Actually, I've never heard that before. That's mm-hmm. really fucking good. Um, where has that been all my life? Actually, I've oh, that's, never that's that an old
0: that term. That's, that goes back to like the '60s, I think.
1: Yeah, I like never. I seriously yeah. have never heard that before. I just heard that they called Texas Saudi Arabia, and I was like, God, where have you been my whole life? That's pretty like, funny. That's good stuff. I know. So yeah, like a lot of those, um, a lot of the people that I would immediately go to they're all from New York and from in the Florida. States and, and yeah. stuff like that. Yeah. Florida, <laughs> pitbull, I think a Pipple or whatever would be somebody that I would associate with that style of music. And yeah, he's from f- fucking Florida. So like, uh, it's, um, I guess like in terms of like the genre, it's like, you know, kind of hip hop pop music. That's, um, got a little bit of Island flair in the beats and everything like that. So, mm-hmm. um, th- those would be like my, my go-to list. I, I, it's weird. Like, I don't know any, puerto rican punk bands like any puerto rican metal bands i'm just right in this little niche of this sliver of pop culture from like the late 90s into the 2000s
0: yeah i was when i was doing some research for this particular part there were a lot of puerto rican bands but like they all had their heyday from like the 60s to like the early 80s and then from the 80s on is when you get menudo which had ricky martin in it um mm-hmm. And you—that's when, like, sort of the pop music scene in Puerto Rico takes over, and then obviously, in the '90s and 2000s, you get reggaeton like splits off from that. But like, it really is and has been like that island has been—I don't want to say controlled—but the 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 overwhelming favorite musical style has been pop music and reggaeton for like 30 years now, and there's not really a lot of room for anyone else. I'm, I'm sure there's a Puerto Rican punk band out there right now, but we just right. don't know about them or they're a Puerto Rican punk band that's from New York like they, yeah that's true they're not actually from Puerto Rico so <laughs> right. um, yeah so like but I'm glad you mentioned Fat Joe I didn't, I think a lot of people kind of forget that Fat Joe's from was, was from New York but Puerto Rican um, mm-hmm. and I, I saw this it was a really funny video um, it's from one of these from one of the baseball accounts that I follow I think it's Talking Baseball and it's it, it, it's um, it's this joke that, that's been going around for a while about um, especially like especially like youth teams from like Florida and Alabama and stuff. When they play in tournaments down in that region, there's always like at least one or two Caribbean teams that plays in those tournaments with them. And we're talking high level youth baseball. And this little video has like, um, has um, I forgot exactly how it starts off, but it's like a team full of like kids. They're supposed to be from like Nebraska or something. And then it's then like, there's a big like, you know, you have like the Chiron or whatever comes up. It's just like, and then daddy Yankee starts playing. (laughs) <laughs> and it's like, you know, you're in trouble when you hear that music, and a six foot two, 230 pound Dominican 14 year old comes to the plate. And it's just like, it's just so fucking true. Like, these kids, these mm-hmm. the, the kids that are, especially like in the former slave islands, those are like grown men at 15. Like, they're yeah. large human beings when they're like 14, 15 years old. And they come up, play tournaments in Florida and shit, and they dwarf these like fucking 14 year old American kids. But it was. It was just so funny that, like, that Daddy Yankee song, um, Gasolina, of course, that, like, Mm -hmm. that particular song has stayed relevant for almost 20 years now.
1: Yeah, I'm telling you, that is a surprise and never was a truer statement made. I would be shitting myself if I saw a uh, a, a grown man, 14 year old grown man come up to the plate to any fucking song. And if it's that one, it just kind of there's like a, a little bit of a juxtaposition between the yeah. terror of that man and the happiness of the song.
0: I know. Uh, but Daddy, Daddy Yankee, still very fun. Uh, fuck, wasn't he on that Despacito song? i wouldn't be surprised i know that there were a lot of names on that song yeah yeah but so like fat joe still rules daddy yankee's great um it's it's fun don't take a lot of the reggaeton stuff don't take it too seriously it's just fun Mm -hmm. music like there's like it is it is for as you kind of mentioned like talking about like vacation kind of stuff reggaeton Mm -hmm. is you have a big tiki drink in your hand and you're just fucking having fun like that's reggaeton
1: Oh, yeah, exactly. You don't take that kind of music that seriously and stuff. When it comes to like the reggae stuff you take seriously, it's basically just the protest stuff. Everything else is smoke weed and lay on the beach.
0: Exactly, exactly. All right. So now we're moving on to a section called Distant Vibration. Uh, Distant Vibrations, where we're just going to introduce a musical subgenre and its accompanying subculture. And in this case, as Chem and I just found out, we're going to be talking about the same thing, um, which is. Which is very much okay, because I, I, when we kind of, as we get towards the end of this, I I have a theory about why we kind of got towards the same thing. And um, so, like, the the idea was that we were going to, like, we're going to go through and, like, you know, like, pick a country, basically, find some interesting little, like, musical subculture, explain it, go through some of the stuff. Obviously, it can't be an English-speaking subculture, um, because that really kind of wouldn't be at that point. Um, So, and, and stuff that we don't know much about. Uh, so Cho, why don't you go ahead and enlighten everyone as to what we're going to talk about together. Okay. So we
1: are going to be talking about this very, very interesting subgenre of music from Japan called kawaii core, kawaii
0: Kawa-i metal, kawaii core, um, also called idol metal, idol metal, I D O L metal and mm-hmm. cute metal, which literally kawaii yep. means cute. Yes, that's right. Yes. You bet. So
1: man, um, okay. So let's start off with, uh, Wow, dude, I'm just like, it's like, I'm still so surprised that we went to do the same thing. But I have a feeling as we get to this discussion, it might not end up being much of, as big of a surprise as I uh, think and stuff. So, yeah. okay, so idol metal, cute metal, kawaii core, kawaii metal, it's this style of music that blends together elements of heavy metal and J-pop that was pioneered in Japan in the early 2010s. The genre combines Eastern and Western influences that appeal to both cultures. A typical kawaii metal composition combines the instrumentation found in various types of heavy metal music with J-pop melodies and Japanese idol aesthetics. Kawaii metal's lyric topics often contain Cute, lovable, kind like themes, making them much less hostile than those of other mm-hmm. heavy metal genres. <laughs> it's it's
0: a it is a it is a very interesting blend of of music. Of I should yes. say a very interesting blend of music and presentation is really yes. what this is. Yeah, um, the
1: presentation part I think is I think is a more significant percentage than I think most people think. The presentation element of this is by far it's equally as important as the sound
0: correct correct i i it it really is i i would say it swungs it's a it's a three to one sort of importance that the way the singers look because they're all pretty much all exclusively these very cute legitimately Mm -hmm. like very attractive i was gonna say girls but they're probably like all our age now um these like very like cute women and like i mean cute in like a, a very you know they're cute they're very attractive but also like they're very cutesy looking. They look yes. very doll-like or child-like in a lot of in a lot of senses. Um, right. So like you have that, and then like even even a um, and we'll, I'm sure we'll get into to all the bands and stuff here. Um, even in, like a band like Baby Metal, like they're going for like their aesthetic is you know they're all usually always wearing like black or red. Um, even like their their stage costumes are even though they're, you know, there's metal on them. There's like fucking leather on them. They're black. They're very cutesy. This is one of the cutesiest presentations you'll ever see.
1: Yeah. It's, it's kind of like, man, I'm like, it's, I'm trying to like put this the right way here, but it's, it kind of looks like just like young girls, like up there like singing heavy metal and stuff like that. And Mm -hmm. while these are It's full on women and everything like that. These are like people who are of age and stuff. It's just like, it kind of speaks to this like fetishization of youth and stuff like that. Uh, Like,
0: yeah, that's, that's also just a big Japanese thing. The, the, like even the pop acts, these women Mm -hmm. look a little too young. Right.
1: You're right. And like, I'm glad you put it that way. Like every, every, Culture in some way, shape, or form fetishizes youth. I I don't want to like sound like I'm. No. it just seems like it's more of a thing in Japan, is what I'm trying to say. It,
0: it's more. Stuff. I think it's. Um, I don't want to say it's more culturally acceptable because like grown men were drooling over Britney Spears when she was like sixteen, seventeen. So, um, <laughs> right, it, I mean right. they sec- they sexualized her from the jump. But mm-hmm. it's it's sort of like it's sort of like a, you know what it is. It's it's more like they sort of are infantilizing women is sort of what it is infantilizing. Yes. Ex- That's yes. sort of the cultural, um, attraction to it. They're infantilizing women
1: that you, you totally got that on the head, man. And like, I, I'm going to put this one way too. And that is like, if you were to tell me that this comes from Japan, I think this, the like, I would believe it a hundred percent. Like you would tell me that this kind of genre comes from Japan. I'd be like, okay, Matt's right. But if you mm-hmm. were to say that this came from like, like spain or something i'd be like all right now we got to do some research here. yeah you know what i'm saying it's like i don't it's not as believable from other countries but like from japan i'm just like it makes sense like yeah. there's, it, it, yep you, you're right
0: japan, <laughs> i don't need to disagree with you japan turns out some weird stuff no doubt about it um <laughs> right. so so chema gave you the the sort of like the textbook definition of it and i kind of filled in a few gaps there about like sort of like the, the importance of the presentation of it um were were you had you like really heard any of this music before or is this okay. like pretty new to you? This
1: is baby metal. And the concept of Kauai core is new to me. However, okay. it is seeping into other, um, other cultures, other countries and stuff, not so much in the presentation, but definitely in the music and stuff. And, um, I would say that uh, I can't believe I'm going to go this route, but like I just picked up the new Carpenter Brood album, Leather Terror, mm. which is absolutely incredible. My Dude's fucking awesome. God, Dude's really what good. a goddamn record that is. Yeah, And that album kind of has some of these sounds. Now, like mm-hmm. I definitely not in the presentation. I mean, the album covers by far and away the best album cover of the last two years. But like in terms of the sound, it's like, Very heavy electro poppy sounds, and like when you listen to the new Carpenter Brood album, out of the 14 songs or so that are on it, about six to seven of them have have singers on them, Mm -hmm. and it literally sounds like jacked up, amped up kind of pop with like a metal, like metal overtones or whatever. Mm -hmm. So Um, there's a, like a comparison that, um, do we have like a specific comparison question here? Like, um,
0: um, not, not really, but I have, I have some comparisons that we can kind of, that we can kind of get into. So, but continue with your thought here before I jump in.
1: Okay. So like that's, um. I never that so like I never really heard of this coming from Japan, and I'll get into my compare just my other comparison here that sure. what kind of made me interested in this. There is this band from Germany called Eskimo Callboy, mm. and stupidest name in the world. Okay. Oh yes, I,
0: well, <laughs> but, it, pro- it, probably in in Germany it means something a little bit more, but certainly yeah, if yeah. I was their manager in America, I would not have them name their band that. Yeah.
1: You're, you're right. It's probably something German that means something awesome and badass, but just here, not so much. And um, this band, has got a couple videos online and stuff like that. And uh, my one buddy referred to them as Backstreet Core because it literally sounds like a boy band that's uh, metalized and mm. metalized to death, I might add, in terms of especially in terms of the music. Like these songs fucking kick. And um, I, he sends me every time there's a new video or a new song. I know because he sends it to me every single fucking time, and I am incredibly entertained <laughs> by the, the videos and the music and stuff. So I've been aware of music that's like this, and if the rest of the world is farther ahead of us in terms of music, I'm figuring something like this – Gets popular in the States, maybe not in terms of the infantilization and stuff like that, because I can only imagine Twitter when something like that would come out. Um, (laughs) But yeah, but something like this is bound to become a major hit in the States sometime in the near future. I just don't know when, but it's good, like it's like it's like especially with like the, the kind of music and the way that I don't like I've, I I am taking Japanese, but I don't like I can't speak it that well, so I'm assuming like the lyrics are like cutesy and you know like stuff like that, but mm-hmm. the music is pretty fucking good. It's, not, it's, I mean, it's good. It it's pretty not good bad at all. Yeah, and man, like I am. I guess like this is just like the most japanese thing this is the most japanese thing since godzilla eating sushi like there you to go. me this this just makes the most sense in the world um i'm glad we both discovered this whole thing especially for the, the, the sake of this episode and stuff because um i i've been just incredibly intrigued and it, it makes so much sense like it just even the natural evolution of like boy bands and pop stars like Olivia Rodrigo is, is going more punk and stuff like Mm -hmm. that. And like has a couple punk songs on her album. Um, so as pop stars sort of like they have their sound, but they kind of like adjacently adapt, maybe like a secondary sound of some kind. Um, nobody really has gone with metal. So like, I've, I'm thinking that at some point in time, we're going to see a pop star that, uh, makes it famous with a metal song or she's got a hit single and then track number two is metal as shit. So it's coming here for sure.
0: Yeah. 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 I gotcha. I think, so I'll I'll start with this idea. I'll I'll start with one. With your sort of assertion that this was kind of like inevitable coming out of Japan. And I 100% agree. Um, Mm -hmm. This is, this is just something else that they'll try. Um, And I I don't want to like, you know, put Japan in the collective they necessarily, but In terms of their, in terms of their pop culture, in terms of especially their music industry, they are much more, I don't think, I don't think they have any interest in passing off groups as sort of like these organic things. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, like it's, it's sort of like people kind of like crap down boy bands that were assembled. You know, like right. oh, who cares? Like they're just put together. As if as if a boy band would not put itself would not be put together by like a corporate entity. But um Right. There's there's just a more romantic story about a band performing together in high school or college or whatever. Um I don't think they give a shit about that in Japan. So the so the music the music industry, the music companies in Japan are more like out front about like, fuck, we're just gonna try a bunch of weird shit. Let's put weird shit together. Let's try this. Let's try this. Let's just mm-hmm. put it together and see what happens. Um, and, and, you know, and because you have a culture that's more receptive to it, I this kind of thing was inevitable that some, that some executive would go, what if we were to do, what if we were to give metal the J-pop treatment? And that's the thing. This is where I'll disagree with, though. I don't think this is ever going to penetrate the United States in any meaningful way because this is very much engineered for Japan. This is mm-hmm. about as specific as a sort of. This is about as specific as this gets for a kind of um, a, a kind of manufactured um, music genre. It it would be almost like I guess it would be kind of like um, I don't know putting together like a, a bluegrass band, it, you know, like a, a sure. some kind of some kind of company made bluegrass band. It it you know it might take over and become big in the United States. I can't imagine that it penetrates elsewhere. Um, it's just it's just too specific for what they're for what for what it is. But having said that, it's just very very interesting that it's just very very interesting that um, how do I explain this? It's very interesting that they they are taking a lot of Western tips, um, obviously from metal and pop music. But they kind of are sort of keeping it insulated so that it is mm-hmm. just like this is a very uniquely Japanese thing that despite having, you know, metal music, despite having, you know, some, I mean, really, the metal music is pop music played by a metal band. Um, it's like if you I'm sure if you were to have that band play, you know, if it was played more, more like a like a typical pop band, it wouldn't sound it would sound the same. But you'd be like, oh, I've heard fucking Maroon 5 play shit like this before. Um, but it's just very interesting how they've managed to make it and keep it sort of insular in Japan. Um, so I sent you, I sent you two, two, uh, videos and I think this is one of the most interesting sort of like comparisons you can make. Look at how similar the, so I've heard, I've actually heard of this J-pop group perfume before. Um, Mm -hmm. look at how similar the, the music video for this perfume song is to the like live performance of Headbanger by Baby Metal. What are the differences, real, realistically speaking?
1: There's Honestly, there's not all that much. I mean, even, like, the way that the, – in the two pictures you sent me, even their hand gestures are slightly the same and stuff like that. Oh, they're you – know?
0: by the way, they're YouTube links.
1: YouTube links, yes, YouTube links. Um, so, like, the um, – in these images and stuff like that, that are on the front of the links, like their hand gestures are the same. Um, there's really not a whole lot that is actually different about them. Well, I mean, like, sure.
0: Watch them co- real quick. Watch them real quick. But um, cause I, I'm going to go from here. Just give. I mean, you don't even have to watch them. Just like open them, scroll through them real quick. It's this very, um, it's this, this very interesting, like, again, speaking to the manufacturer quality of it, there is literally... It's not like they even changed the playbook other than to say, "Okay, let's have let's have these essentially the same the same formula with just metal backing and we'll even do the dances the same, the lyrics yeah. the same, the the um the sort of presentation of what's everything is exactly the same." It is fascinating that this sort of that this thing exists. It, I guess it would just be like if someone if someone decided that, um, I'm trying to think of like, um, you already mentioned Olivia Rodrigo. Let me go back. Let me rewind to like the Britney Spears era. If mm-hmm. someone essentially, they're like, well, Britney Spears is a big hit. What if we were to put Alanis Morissette in a tube top and a miniskirt and have her fucking dance around doing her music? That's right. what this is.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, okay. So you scroll through a little bit some of the performances. Three girls standing next to each other. Um, like all right next to each other. You got the same kind of hand gestures. There's like the, the same kind of movements. Even, um, the the perfume video is obviously like a music video. So there's you know like right. each kind of singer is showcased in their own way. But yeah, I mean it's three people moving in sync with each other. The same kind of moves. Um, if I did have the volume up right now, I'd probably even notice like similarities oh, between yes. the way that the the lyrics and even like the the the, the the journey to the chorus could easily be the same is, same kind of path in these two it songs.
0: It is the it is the same song rhythm. Obviously, it's a little bit faster. Um, Baby metal in particular, I would call them um, their thrash metal meets J pop. Mm-hmm. Um, and we'll get. I have some bands here that we're gonna kind of we'll, we'll go through real quickly. They're thrash metal meets J pop, so it's a little bit faster, but it's mm-hmm. it's the same vocal cadence, lyrics, dance moves, the voices. Obviously, it's just J pop with thrash metal playing behind them. It's very fascinating.
1: Yeah, I'm telling you, you're really right about the whole manufactured thing, because this is clear. Like, yeah, this is by far and away like record executives like, hey, we might be on something here. Let's put out what we could put out and stuff. And if it's if something works, you're going to continue to do what works and stuff like that, which is can easily explain all the similarities, including the, the presentation and the, the song structure in general.
0: Now how deep did you go into like different bands? Cuz I did I did find it interesting as the so like baby metal is like for sure the originators of this. Like they're Correct. the first ones. Um so it it is interesting to sort of see them as like your your patient zero if you will. Um did you see any of the more recent bands at all?
1: Okay, I looked up Common uh, Joshi, um Necronominal, mm-hmm. like so, so I What I have seen in my little sampling of this, there's really not much variation. I think somewhere in here I maybe stumbled upon a song that was like a little more ballady than some of the other ones. But I mean, for the most part, it's straight up kicking freaking riffs, get into the, you know, get into the verse. Then comes the fucking chorus, more kick ass riffs, dance moves, all that. It's all basically th- the same with the exception of the handful of ballad type songs I've seen.
0: Yeah, the, the presentation's pretty much, uh, pretty much always the same, but there actually is quite a bit of diversity as, as the years have gone on with this. So, baby metal, again, that's like your originator. Um, you know, like, that's probably where anyone interested in this should start. Um, Lady Baby is another sort of early, very, very early act, um, came like right off the heels of baby metal. Mm-hmm. And Lady Baby is much more like – it is much more like what White Zombie or Rob Zombie would be doing with okay. J-pop. And yes. to the point where, like, even the singing is very different. This is where we're not – Lady Baby doesn't do that sort of girlish voice. They okay. they sing and they sound like an alt metal band or a groove funk metal band. Like, they're, they're much more into – they're much more – Cl- they're significantly closer to metal than, um, than what uh, baby metal actually is. Then gotcha. you, uh, then a little bit after that, you have uh doll box. I don't know if you saw them at all. It's like, no, it's I like did not doll. And then it's like, a, there's a cash. There's a like dollar cash sign. And then boxes B O X X. Um, this is about as close to an American metal band as you're going to get. Um, kind of like an alt metal band again. Um, they play all their own instruments. They're a band. Oh, nice. They okay. do for sure. And there's like eight of them. And they, they definitely do like their singing and dancing stuff. But like they actually play their own instruments. There's, you know, the singing is much more, uh, again, much more like a, a Western metal band than like this sort of, than you know, the, the Kauai culture, the Kau- or excuse me, the Kauai metal band. Uh, there's a, a much, a couple much more recent ones that are definitely playing on the genre different ways. There's Passcode. Um, This is like Death Metal meets J-Electronica. It's a really weird kind of combination, like to the point where there are breaks where it's very electronic. And you're kind of like, Mm -hmm. well, yeah, okay, that kind of makes sense for Japan. And then like it breaks back into Death Metal. Um, It's a very weird, same, again, same presentation. This band's a little bit smaller than some of the bands. I think there's only four four members of this group. Um, But same idea. It's just a very... A very unusual a little bit of more unusual combination and the one that I, I found that was the most unusual is the name sounds like it's taken from like a from this from an emo band it's uh broken by the scream oh, this is
1: sweet that is a sweet fucking name <laughs> this is
0: death metal meets funk metal meets speed metal meets j-pop meets screamo um it's i don't i don't think i like this very much but it is undeniably something that I've never really heard before. Uh, it, it's sort of like a, this is sort of like, you can kind of chalk this up to like, now that they're getting to the end of the road, but like one of the, you know, as music forms evolve, this is one of those like weird options mm-hmm. that you get.
1: Okay, I gotcha. Interesting. Yeah, the, um, I do love that name a whole lot. I'm going to, I am definitely going to check out a little bit more of these, but um, I, you know, I can see where you're coming from, especially when it comes to, like broken by the scream and everything like that is like, eventually like you just kind of like do like newer things and stuff, you know? And I mean, this happens with any kind of genre and stuff. And like, even if you take punk and everything, like the, what punk started as is late in the sixties and seventies to all the different kinds of punk that we have now, some of them like, in particularly like some of the emo punk stuff, especially when you get into like the screamo stuff, there's really only like maybe like a handful. And I mean, a, like a Royal wee handful like mm-hmm. two or three bands that are actually good while everybody else is just trying to be them.
0: Yeah. Yeah, exa- exactly. 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 Um, um, real quickly here. I know we have another question. Um, so, oh, uh, did you have any other comparisons? Was there something else? I I, I feel like I skipped over you. No, those were, that
1: was the easiest way for me to kind of describe how I got into them was through this Eskimo cowboy um, group. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Yeah.
0: Gotcha. Yeah. So like, I, so like, again, I think this is just a little bit too insular and a little bit too pointed, pointed again, a little bit too manufactured for a very particular audience to get wider, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised because like, at least from like the, the bands that I kind of named off, there's clearly a, and obviously this has been going on forever. There's clearly a Western influence that is changing their This, this genre over mm-hmm. the years, baby metal is very much far away from what broken by the scream is. And it, it doesn't, it doesn't surprise me that they're going to be incorporating new stuff in, into their, you know, cause again, when you would, you know, you have like original Coke you got to make Diet Coke. You got to make Coke Zero. You got to make Coke with fucking lemon and vanilla and other shit in it. Um, mm-hmm. So that's kind of where they are at this phase. Like, yeah. I don't think I don't think Baby Metal does anything new anymore. And, and like, I, like I don't, you know what I mean? Like, I know they're still active, yeah. but they're not like producing new music regularly or anything. Um, Lady Baby, I don't think they really do anything new anymore either. It is more like Passcode and Broken by the Scream or like the newer, the more recent acts that are kind of active. So they are they are gonna be looking for the next thing and I, I'm just kind of curious. I, I'm 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 gonna keep tabs with this genre because I'm kind of curious as to what it sounds like in five years.
1: Oh of course. Oh my god, yeah. Like you could okay, like so let's just say like broken by the scream is clearly like other musics trying to like puncture and influence the genre and stuff. If we're looking at the timetable from like, you know, baby metal started in like 2010. Um, so like just assuming that uh, broken by the Scream maybe started like around the same time, maybe. So like a year oh, afterwards, they're like
0: um, 2017 or 18, I think.
1: Okay. Yeah. Formed in 2016. Okay. Yeah, so Thank like you. in that time period, like that's, kind of like a, a lost little period for punk and metal and stuff. And even to a certain degree, like the music industry itself is a little lost in that time period because there is just a major influx of new bands and new sounds that even hit us here in the States and stuff during this time with all the indie pop bands and everything. Mm-hmm. And the kind of like radio punk bands like a simple plan the good charlottes of the world and Mm -hmm. stuff and like anything that was screamo that was that was popular screamo in in the yachts. those really like not saying that those like weren't popular during the 2010 to like 2016 time period but these were the groups that were like Kind of d- doing newer things to kind of stay relevant during this time, whether they're mm. making more acoustic ballads or they're, you know, I don't know, firing band members and stuff or replacing them kind of like the way that Blink 182 did. So I could, I guess, like this genre in general, it's gonna just got to be influenced by some of the other stuff that's out there. I mean, it's it. It, it kind of happens with like musical genres, I guess. yeah, like they, one thing happens, then other little things start to slowly trickle their way into the the genre.
0: yeah, exactly. I think it I think just again, because of the nature of of how you and I both know that there's an executive just telling them what to do, um that the change is going to come a little bit more rapidly than it would for, you know we we when we talked about how like the um that like retro wave music has kind of made its way into much more mainstream music. It, it it took a little while for it to get there. I don't I don't think we'll have to wait too long to see whatever the next iteration of you know, maybe maybe Baby Metal has some kind of like big comeback or whatever comeback album. I, I wouldn't be shocked if it is different from like their, you know, their previous offerings from like twenty eleven or twenty twelve.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, and there it's either going to be one or two things. It's either going to be way more poppy or way more metal-y. Yeah. So we'll be, whatever happens, like, I, I i would be safe to assume it leans more towards the pop side. There's, I would be very, very surprised if all of a sudden they started sounding like uh, cattle decapitation. But, um, like, I, I if this does make a resurgence, there is going to be something very uniquely different about this new kind of incarnation and phase of um kawaii har, kawaii core kawaii core
0: yeah yeah exactly uh did you have a how many songs did you listen to of baby metal I'm uh, curious. I, I listened to the hit gimme
1: chocolates and mm-hmm. the, 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 probably just like a handful of other videos that i um that i that i found once i realized that this was going to be the genre i was talking about
0: gotcha gotcha yeah i i went i went a lot deeper than i thought i was going to go because like originally <laughs> i was just going to sort of like try to hone in on like one and then, like, it, there's, like, more stuff presented itself as, like, these, like, very interesting offshoots. And I'm, I'm really glad I did that because – one, I'm glad because we had, like, a – there's, like, even extra for us to kind of mull and talk about. But it, it does show this very, very interesting pattern of very reactionary ideas. Like, you can – you literally can trace – if you if you, like, go to the year that all these bands are founded – or, or started, I guess not founded, whatever. Um, all these bands are assembled. It's almost like you can, you can go, Oh, okay. So they were real into this at this point. Oh, I guess, I guess, I guess Screamo finally hit Japan in 2016.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I guarantee that if I were to dabble into a little bit more, I'd be able to make those kinds of identifications as well. Yeah. And I mean, that's, uh, th- that is really like, especially with metal and stuff and metal that is trying to be popular. they all kind of reflect off of whatever's going on at the times and stuff. So, I mean, if we were to say that starting in, like, 96, 97 with, like, the great Southern trend kill, like, that's... I would think that maybe that album and, like, some of the white zombie stuff from the 90s would be our kind of introduction to metal and stuff. And then once, like, once Pantera, you know, kind of breaks up or is no more this kind of ushers the door and even like white zombie, like kind of disbanding and stuff like that in the nineties the and two thousands. Mm. Um, that definitely opens the door for like other genres. And then, then of course, and what we got was the new metal, the, the rap core metal and stuff like that. And then even when we were in the middle of that, there were all these bands that kind of popped up that, they were trying to capture what Limp Bizkit and maybe the tones had, but they just weren't like doing it. You know, mm. like the fact that Orgy had that hit that with that new order cover of oh, Blue Monday and right. stuff. Yes. They, oh, dude, what a
0: fucking drop
1: there, man. Yeah. Oh yeah. So like the, the, the fact that like those, um, that that band had that hit even then it's, even to me that felt like the industry was playing, like playing the cards that they had held up their sleeve for a a rainy day and stuff, Mm -hmm. you know, trying to perpetuate this idea of new metal as far as they could, because you had bands that were not only like, you know, I I will say that even like the first Limp Bizkit CD $3 bill, you know, that was good. The second album, significant other, we all kind of like that. And then once you, once you get to chocolate starfish, it's, you could, you could definitely tell like who, um, who in life like is either successful or gets laid by their opinion <laughs> on Olympus gets chocolate, starfish, and hot dog flavored water. That's for sure. <laughs> that definitely is kind of like a dividing line, I think, between, yeah. um, between people and stuff like that. That's the moment that uh, that is like the equivalent of when Chris decides to take the advanced classes in, um, in the end of stand by me type stuff. So yes. Yes. <laughs> like, um, so like when, when you look at all that, like you had Limp Bizkit, you had you had Deftones, which had like some marketability to them, like in their appearance. Mm-hmm. And then the, then they would just kind of drop these acts, like okay, here comes Coal Chamber, and like yeah, like Coal Chamber, we could get them on the radio, but maybe they're not as marketable. And then you have Crazy Town, which is like two tattooed white guys that are definitely marketable in their appearance, but their songs are awful. So it's, <laughs> yes, <laughs> it, it's like they're tr- it's like at that point in time they were trying to you know, carry on new metal, like in any way, shape or form that they could. And then once we hit probably around like, Oh, four, Oh five, when like King of Leon and like arcade fire and stuff like that, maybe the flaming lift started to have their resurgence of critical acclaim. That's when like those, like if, if Nirvana's nevermind put 80s hair metal in its grave, the indie rock releases between 2004 and 2006 put new metal to death too.
0: Absolutely. The, would, would that be like third wave alt
1: rock? So if we're in that point in time, yeah, I'd probably say we're the, it could might even be the fourth wave, depending could be the fourth, on what, yeah. you, what you consider to be like these waves and stuff. But if we're taking the first wave, it would be the 1990, 1990
0: to 91. Program, oh, earlier than that. Like Chili peppers. First, first wave okay. is like, mid early mid eighties.
1: Oh, okay. Gotcha. Okay, like ta- yeah, talking so heads
0: could, and like those. Bands. Gotcha. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Okay. I gotcha. So if those are first wave, I mean, yeah, that could be, by the time we get to Oh five Oh six, I mean, we could easily be looking at the fourth wave. Cause if you had the eight, the first wave in the eighties with the talking heads and like the Smiths and mm-hmm. all like the post punky kind of stuff, I'd probably say the second wave would have been that bomb in the early nineties of nevermind and Pearl jam and the chili peppers. Mm-hmm. I, I, would go out on a limb to say that you could maybe even consider to be a third wave. What happened a little bit later in 94 to 96 with the green day, smashing pumpkins really taking it's all yeah. like taken over. And then you really like, you know, there, I, I between, so if you would 96 being the cutoff on that, 97 like is when we start to get lost i don't even really know if i would classify a newer wave in the 97 to 05 era i mean that could be that whole time could easily just be lost and then once we get to 0304 with the killers and kings of leon that might be like what i would consider the next wave of something. yeah time, like the third or fourth wave
0: 97 man <laughs> yeah
1: always going tell- back to it always going back you, to it. I, it's amazing how much everything comes back to that year. It really is. It's
0: a it's a fucking waterline in music culture and <laughs> pop culture. It's a waterline, legitimately.
1: Definitely, dude. Definitely.
0: All right. So, um, <clears throat> so just to sort of wrap up this little uh, this little piece of our, our little presentation on Kawaii Core or Kawaii Metal, whatever you want to call it. Um, I I this, so this is my sort of unified theory of this because when I was looking at other sort of other other subgenres from other cultures and other, like you know, other musical subcultures and other in other countries. Chema, they were all metal, all of them. Yeah. Oh they're god, yeah, of course. All fucking metal, and it's apparently so. What the reason why this surprises me just a little bit? Metal starts in England in the late nineteen sixties. It's Black Sabbath essentially. Um, mm-hmm. Starts metal, um, kind of unintentionally, but they they start metal, at, or at least they're the they're they are the the earliest thing that we can consider metal. And then probably more like a, a early, early to mid seventies in England is where we really get metal taking a much more significant shape. And obviously that comes over to, over to the United States. Um, and on its way, it also kind of filters into Scandinavia in like the eighties. Um, you know, we get the Norwegian black metal that scene that kind of pops up in the late eighties and nineties. Mm-hmm. It, it's interesting to me then it took a long time for the rest of the world be it Brazilian metal, Argentinian metal, Venezuelan metal, be it, um, as we're talking here, you know, Japanese, Kawaii core, Kawaii metal. It's very interesting to me that it took the rest of the world very long after most of Western pop culture kind of put it in the trash. How long it took for someone else to sort of pick it up and run with it. Wow. No, that's a really fucking
1: good point right there. Jesus, God, yeah. I mean, it has really taken a while for... Metal to have all these different kind of like subgenres and people to really like take off and run with it. That's a really good. That's a really fucking interesting point you made there.
0: So I'm, I'm wondering if part of it is sort of just the closed off nature of some of these countries that you know what I mean? Like they're just sort of I mean, not just now, but in, in more recent decades, they're getting more exposure to American and, you know, English pop culture. That they're finally mm-hmm. sort of like it's finally taking root. I mean, it takes a long time for certain, especially musical subgenres, it takes a long time for them to take root. Like, yeah, it, it's not something that just happens. Pop music is very different, obviously, country music is very different. But like, you know, look how long it took electronic music to be mainstreamed in the United States. Quite a long time.
1: A very long time. Yeah, you're looking at 20, 30 years easily. Yeah.
0: I mean, you know, you have like, you know, you have whereas like in you know, in, in the in the UK and Europe, it was already kind of a pretty, you know, I wouldn't say a fairly big deal, but like we were still like grappling with fucking disco and shit. When, (laughs) when Europe was kind of doing like, you know, you had, um, Oh God damn it.
1: You had Kraftwerk and everything in Germany, like hitting it big in the seventies and eighties, Giorgio Moroder and stuff like that. Thank you, Kraftwerk.
0: And there's an English guy whose name I am forgetting right now. Holy shit. Paul Oakenfold. No, no. From the seventies. Um, I'll, I'll I'll think I know I'll think of it later but um Gary Newman Gary Newman thank you um y- you know like you already had like established sort of early electronic artists in the seventies and eighties and you know like house music in Chicago and Detroit had barely been in its infancy and it took <laughs> it still took a, I mean it really it took um, you know it took Daft Punk in the mid nineties and uh, Prodigy in the mid nineties to like kind of force america to like hey by the way this music's been in your country for like 20 years you do realize that right
1: right and and like it even took 1997 and that whole you know stew of sounds for for them to even get their chance to, to break it over here you know so if if we were not as lost in terms of the music industry in 97 who knows if those bands would even gotten their chance to shine mm-hmm. at that particular point in time yeah like we could have got we could have gotten introduced to daft punk via the uh the, the 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 third album or whatever the one that has the song from Iron Man two on it.
0: Oh right, yeah, right, right. So you know, so take you know, so just keeping all that in mind, it it is interesting that like you know, it really metal might have just been something that was obviously percolating in Japan for a while. It just you know, it never really hit the mainstream until they kind of gave it the they gave it the pop music treatment.
1: Yeah, I mean, like there, I I've done some kind of looking into, I guess, Japanese metal and hard rock and punk over the last like couple of years actually like the last like few months ever start since i started taking it and um like they've had you know there's japanese like hair metal stuff like that but there's no real like playing with the genre and this is like sort of maybe universal for just metal in general but this idea of really branching out that genre I feel is more of like a newer thing. And then mm-hmm. I'm not just talking about like grind core and all that stuff, but I mean, you have like, there's like math rock now, you know, math metal, um, there's mm-hmm. like melodic death metal, stuff like that. I mean, there's instrumental metal and everything. So, and then if you even want to get like even more crazy specific with it, there is um max sabbath the mcdonald's themed metal band there's Dokeley, oh, yes, right. the Ned flanders themed mm-hmm. metal band there's um god what the hell are they called i wrote an article about the bonehenge which is like a dinosaur themed like alternative and like harder rock ska multi you know multi-sound kind of band and everything so like it's i i kind of feel that Metal is one of the only, like, one of a few genres that really has places to go still, you know? I mean, if we're talking about, like, you couldn't do what Baby Metal's doing with punk, it just doesn't fucking work. Mm-hmm. I mean, even, like, Olivia Rodrigo's one punk song is very, very different than, like, the rest of her album. So, and you, you could, I guess, infuse elements of electronica into punk, but it's not going to work because they're the two one of those things needs to become like the dominant genre. And even if it technically doesn't in the music, the audience is going to identify one of those two styles being this dominant genre. It's not going to be viewed as like some new thing. It'll just be like a punk band that has a drum machine or something like that. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I like how you put that though, that that metal still has places to go. And I think it's because metal will kind of always exist on the fringe that, Definitely. It's a fringe. It's a fringe type of music. So there's always something there's always someone's going to be willing to experiment with it.
1: Exactly. And there's honestly like, and I, I hate to be the dude here that shits on metalheads' dreams of everything being metal and metal, but metal's not a, it's not a mainstream thing anymore. No. Like if it, if it was, if it was at all, that time has passed with the family values tour, like it's done. Mm-hmm. So it's, metal is always going to be alive. It'll always exist, you know, in, in its communities and stuff like that. I mean, there will obviously be a Rammstein or a slip, a slip, a big metal band that like can play arenas and stuff. But in general, like we're not going to be looking at a metal album cracking the top 10 for a very long time or if not ever again. Mm -hmm. So for people that are starting newer metal bands that want to like stay true to heavy metal, they're going to be doing crazier outlandish shit. Like even with this whole thing with the stranger things and stuff and the big Eddie Munson masters, of, um, master of puppets kick, there's not a demand for, like all, it's not like the, the public is just clamoring for a new heavy metal band to come out. And no. that was just a night, like how stranger things is. That was just a nice little shot of like nostalgia, you know, to, to, to carry us through the summer of 2022. Mm-hmm. Like that's, that's not going to spark some newer metal revolution, no matter. And I hope to God, this doesn't happen, but I can see it now in rolling where these five bands are leading the new heavy metal revolution and they are <laughs> nowhere near like i could probably pick who these five bands that they would select to do oh, this would sure. be, and none of them are leading a new metal revolution they may be good and i, I could see them picking like tomb mold or blood incantation to focus on mm-hmm. those bands are good but they're not leading a metal revolution if you're saying that they are leading a metal revolution it's more or less because Publications like Pitchfork and Rolling Stone have picked up on them and people that don't normally listen to metal but listen or follow Pitchfork and Rolling Stone recommendations are just like, oh, right, this is the new metal band that they're hot on this year, you know, and then that'll disappear until whatever band they drool all over
0: next year. Exactly. On point, 100% on point. Um And you know what? Metalheads, fellow metalheads, why do you guys want to be mainstream anyway? That's not the right. fucking point. Yeah, like, do, are you aware of what comes with freaking
1: mainstream uh, success here? Like, as a fan, let me give you a little, just slight crash course here. You're looking at very, very expensive tickets. You're looking at very, very expensive merch. You're looking at a very, very expensive concert going experience. And, like, when you are standing there watching the metal band that you loved as a kid play a 30,000 person arena, are you going to view it as the same band that you saw when you were younger? No, it's going to be a completely different thing. Mm-hmm. So, if anything, this metal is like the is a, is a genre amongst a few that is going to thrive with not that many people knowing
0: about it. Exactly. It took it took Metallica almost twenty years to sort of mainstream themselves, and right. really, what we got was like the last bit of like truly innovative music from them you know right. when, when we were younger that was really the last bit of it by that point in time not to say they haven't done good stuff since then i know we've talked about it before they've made good songs since then like for sure um and I, I still every now and then pop on that snm album and the snm2 album they're just mm-hmm. fun you know fun you know doing the stuff with the sfo with the san francisco orchestra is great but i mean they're not it, nothing is like ride the lightning Nothing is like the black album. Nothing is like, is is like kill them all. Nothing. Right. Not
1: those days are gone. Like they're still, there's some banging hard as fuck Metallica songs, but in terms of them doing something new and being a torch carrier in metal, they are a torch carrier. They're legendary. They're historic, but like the better Metallica it's, you know, maybe load might've been the cutoff. Yeah. And, and who knows, and who knows if that there, there are people out there that fucking hate that album. So who mm. knows if that, who knows if Metallica culture even thinks they made it to load.
0: Yeah. That, that good point. Very good point. Um, so let's, so let's, um, let's wrap this up here. Let's, let's get into a chum, a little playlist time. We love making Hell playlists yeah. around here. Um, we're each going to do a six pack of songs for our beyond borders playlist. Again, strong preference for non-English songs, but some of them might have English sprinkled in, in, and out, in you know, here and there, you know, nothing you can do about that. So let's just, uh, we'll just go back and forth, Chema. Uh, let me throw off, what are we leading this playlist off with?
1: Okay, so I am leading off the playlist with taking this one back to high school here. This is a song I found out about in high school because in German class, Harrison Crowley played us this German punk band called Wizo, Wizo, W-I-Z-O. Mm-hmm. And, um... There is this song from their 1994 album called Urga, which just seems almost like just like a vocalized expression of whatever joy, pain, whatever it is. Um, they have a song on there called Romderzeit that was actually selected to be on one of the fat records, this punk band that Fat Mike from NoFX um, owns and founded. Mm-hmm they do these compilations and they're usually like kind of puns on fat so it's like survival of the fattest life in the fat lane fat music for fat people <laughs> and on their um those are the the, the first three mm-hmm. um titles and on the second one which is um survival of the fattest this song "Romderzite" was on this um album and like back in the day when we were kids these punk labels like Epitaph and Fat Records used to put out these like four dollar, five dollar CDs that were um, just basically like, hey, these are our artists that we were doing recordings with this year. And it was just like a big playlist on CD. And this man, Vito, had their song Ramderzeit on this album. And it's a song I've actually been listening to for a better part of my fucking life now. And um, I think it's good. And they're banned from Germany, so I had to do some research, um, you know, in the year 2022 to make sure they weren't pro-Nazi or anything like that. <laughs> Spoiler alert: they are not. Good. So good. Um, yes. So um, in general, this is a hard hitting punk rock song. Um, it's got a really positive message. These guys embrace a lot of like, uh, left ideologies and stuff like that in terms of like social support and everything. So, um, these, the song Ramder's is definitely a, a solid kickoff song.
0: Like it, like it. Um, oof, I'm going to have to, uh, yeah, i I'm gonna have to get like actual, um, titles I'm sure from you, um, to, to put in the playlist, but also, cause I just want to look that up. Um, so I'm going to, I'm going to keep with the energy here. I'm going to go with some Brazilian punk uh, band. I know we've talked about it before, at least briefly, uh, a band called Charlie Brown Jr. That is still together, still releasing albums in Brazil, still performing, still presumably selling out um, whatever the equivalent of a state fair in Brazil is. Um, and I'm going to start off with their song off of, I believe it's called, I should have gotten an album name, but I believe it's called uh, Bocas, uh, Bocas uh, Orde- Ordeanas, which I think just means regular mouths. Um, and the song is called Papa Redo, which i mean straight talk. And it's a fun, very, it's a fun sort of, I don't don't want to say pop punk, but kind of reminiscent of someone like Goldfinger is kind of what you're kind of what you're thinking about. And they're not Charlie Brown Jr. isn't all like Goldfinger, but this particular song Papo Redo almost Mm -hmm. sounds like um we, goldfinger actually has covered um they, they, they did a german cover of 99 uh, red balloons actually it's pretty good they but did
1: you bet they did it's a really good
0: cover actually and um this almost almost if you weren't aware that this was a different band altogether you'd kind of almost go like wait are they covering brazilian songs now like what, what's the deal here <laughs> right um, but it's but it's definitely a fun little lighter um a fun lighter uh, punk punk rock song from brazil charlie brown Hell... jr papo Rado
1: very very fucking nice dude i i am a big fan of punk in any fucking culture and stuff and i do like that you dropped that uh, goldfinger song that was they have an english version and a german one and it was one of those songs that appeared on like those uh, punk covers the radio yep. mm-hmm. albums and stuff like that with the one of a million of those that came out in oh, the, yes. the late 90s and stuff that's a good one for I, sure. I
0: had a i had a roommate in college who i swear to god had literally had all the physical copies of those
1: oh i believe it i totally believe it yes the, i can I and would you it,
0: and would you believe that this dude sucked yeah really <laughs> yeah would you believe it
1: i you know i maybe at the time i would probably say like oh there's all these punk things he's probably cool but like retrospectively having all that much stuff there's a lot of shitty covers on those albums yep. dude a lot
0: yeah <laughs> yeah exactly all right so what's your what's your uh what's what's, what's bat number two in your lineup here
1: Psy gangham style that song still fucks. It nice. fucked back then and it fucks now. Like that electronic drop on that is amazing. And um as that song was sweeping the country in 2012, I personally feel that that is another one that you throw in on the bar and it's going to it's throw on the the radio on the bar, everybody's going to be happy.
0: Uh 100% agree with you. That song It's one of the, what makes it so fucking, what made it so fucking big is that it's an earworm that I never, not that like I wanted to hear it all the time, but I never really got tired of it. It it, it didn't wear me out like a lot of other earworms.
1: Yeah, once I kind of realized what this whole thing was about, um, and not to mention I saw how many people like really enjoyed it. I warmed the hell up to this song. I was like, because I don't know, at some point I usually never understand um, cultural obsessions and stuff, especially with like with songs and one hit Wondery stuff, you know, like all the different YouTube videos and people parodying and stuff. I, I, I kind of personally stay away from all that. But um, I was, you know, over time, I'm just like every single person who made a YouTube video to that song, more power to them. Like, it's just like the song grew on me. And I, I still, I'd put that on any playlist even today.
0: Abs- absolutely. Love the choice. And it's also, it was one of those, um, that song was one of those things that also kind of showed you the various, I'll call it the various speeds of the internet. Like yeah. who is, you know, like how, one, how fucking fast this, this song spread um, via yeah. YouTube especially. But also you you probably had a relative that like eight months later, finally got wind of Psy. yep and it's just and oh, yeah. you, you know the relative and <laughs> like you're just like oh yes yeah, so this person oh, yeah this person's not on the internet much
1: yeah they they just discovered the dance hey look at this dance i found oh my god you know like that that i know exactly what you mean yeah yeah
0: love it very very excellent choice um let's see here i will i will back this up with with uh two artists that i've already mentioned that i opened up with um, with the Hallucination and Black Bear and also in combination with a um, with a Latin DJ, El Dusty, a song called Tano Cumbia. And it's a very interesting mix of cumbia music from Mexico with Black Bear, with Black Bear singers sort of, um, you know, more traditional um, folk singing and the Hallucination providing the track. And it's fucking fantastic. It is a really sort of fantastic mashup of music. It is a... It is a very, I'll tell you what, if you, if you pop this on, if you pop this on at a barbecue or some kind of beach party, people will fucking dance to this.
1: Hell yeah. Fuck yeah, dude. Give it, just give us all the danceable, high energy, cool ass fucking shit for
0: sure. Yep. Yep. It's a fun, fun song. Uh, What's, what do you got up next?
1: Okay. Number three is going to be Uh, another Japanese punk band um, or another act from Japan, sorry, the first Japanese punk band on our, um, in our discussion today. And this is a band called special thanks. Um, Long story short, it is like riot girl, uh, Japanese punk rock, you know, female singer, three Mm -hmm. chords, very simplistic style, but very, very catchy. Um, the song is called Dreaming off of the 2020 album called Sanctuary. Uh, This was another band that I just kind of randomly stumbled across Uh, um, I think Mormile is a big fan of like Japanese music so somehow I saw something from him online and then started looking up Japanese music and this was one of the first bands that like the internet had referred me Mm -hmm. and I went to check it out and I was like wow this is like exactly what I listened to um, nowadays, but just in Japanese. Like, it is seriously, <laughs> I can name five bands that sound exactly like this, but in Japanese, and uh, this song is is a very, very quality one. It rocks. It's um, in line with, like, the Beths and Chumped and Remember mm, okay. Sports and all this stuff. It's really good shit.
0: Gotcha, gotcha. Like it, great choice. Um, Chema, I will stick it with Japan. I'll back this up with one of my two Japanese choices here. Um, and I'm going to tell you, you should definitely check it out simply because it is sort of a different version of this kawaii metal or kawaii core. Um, and it's it's called – it's uh, Dollbox's uh, – probably their top song called Shout Down. Um, okay. Def- a different version of it. Obviously, the, all the trappings – especially if you watch, like, the music video for it, all the trappings of this kawaii core are there. But they're they're definitely – and again, like, sort of the uh, these, like, sort of super cutesy kind of girls – Women, mm-hmm. not girls. Uh, they're definitely adults, but they they're they're not as sort of dressed in the way that baby metal would be. They they definitely look more the part of a metal band. Um, and like, like I said, they play their own instruments. There's the singing's a little bit different, but you still get the trappings of of what kawaii metal is. But it's but doll definitely is doing a slightly different version of it. So that's Hell a yeah, shout yeah. down.
1: This is the number one song on Apple music from them, and only one EP that they have, which I think is quite interesting. It came out in 2017. So yeah, this is uh, I got this queued up and stuff. I'm ready to go. I love the album cover and
0: I'm gonna check this shit out. For sure, for sure. definitely. In- an interesting version of this. I would I would say there's like at least just for my quick researcher. So obviously, Baby metals, the the OGs, um, lady babies right there with them uh Dollbox is sort of like their attempt at making a, more of a band and then the the one that i mentioned before passcode was just like they were the the executives were clearly just like what if we put like the four hottest women possible together <laughs> yeah <laughs> they're like they're very good looking um it's mm-hmm. like it just sort of like this it's just very interesting to see these very different these very different attempts of this industry to make sort of the you know make it I don't know. Make their own way in in sort of this weird genre. Anyway, sorry.
1: Yeah, no, it's all good, dude. I'm looking up photos and and yes, they are very very fucking attractive. Yes, yeah. they are. Holy shit. Yes, they might actually be the best looking of the um, Kawaii core yes. bands. I, I legitimately yeah. was. I was
0: legitimately like watching one of their music videos. And I'm like, oh, I see what was going on here. We were. This was like this was sort of like the assembled girl like girl supergroup like that. We would you know mm-hmm. like. Oh my God, it's Christina Aguilera, Britney Spears, and, you know, whomever else in the same fucking album. Uh, like, right. that's what this is, clearly.
1: I, I gotcha. Yeah, I'm definitely getting that vibes from the the photos I've seen of them, yeah. for sure. <laughs> and so my next one, I'm, I'm sticking it with the, I put Baby Metals Gimme Chocolate on here. This is a song that they performed on um, The Late Show with Colbert. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe this to be their big hit. So I threw it on the, um, I threw it on the, uh, the playlist just to, you know, have a sampling of this band from the the big discussion that we had.
0: Yep. Yep. And I, uh, I will back that right up there, Chama. I also went with Baby Metal's Headbanger. Um, again, like if you, if you at all interested in this kind of music and I, I really like I liked most of what I heard. I really did. Um, you gotta go, you gotta check out Baby Metal. And Gimme Chocolate, for sure. And I think I think musically, and sort of the performance, Headbanger, I think, is like their best of what they do.
1: Yeah, I gotcha. Gotcha, for sure.
0: Uh, how about your next one?
1: Okay, the next one is uh, my last selection from the country of Japan. This is a band called Bomb Factory. There's The song is called Remember. It's from the 2008 album called Moshing Through Tokyo. And, um, okay, so... I'm trying to put this the best way here. Cause like, obviously it's punk, you know, we talked about metal and stuff, but it's like, there are some bands that it's like, this is how we're going to do metal. Like take Rammstein, for example, I think is a definitive example. Like, okay, this is how we are going to fucking do mm-hmm. metal with you know big sounds and even bigger fucking show. And I was, um, going through different, you know, different punk bands and stuff like that. And, this one is like one of the most like straight up punk sounding songs in terms of instrumentation like it's it's very very uh very smooth it's very very like very smooth. It's not one of these punk rock songs that are like riff driven where you're like dun 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 lyric dun mm-hmm. dun, dun, dun 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 lyrics, you know basically how every new green day song is. So um this uh this song is just a very very slick smooth sounding one for a, a once again this is a song that could easily be uh, it could easily be an american punk rock sounding song but it just happens to sound but it happens to be from japan and um i thought it was a really cool kind of homage to what they you know like what punk rock over here in in britain kind of sounds like because the rest of the album I feel is a little bit more like how uh, what punk rock in Japan is supposed to be like, mm. I guess. I gotcha. And so, it, so it's like kind of like it's like a little bit of a different nugget in this album of songs that I believe to be more authentic Japanese
0: punk rock. I gotcha. I gotcha. Yeah, I gotcha. Moshing through Tokyo is the album. Yes, it is. Love that fucking album title. That is a great album title. Yes, <laughs> love that fucking album title. Um, all right, I'm going to go back to a Brazilian band here, one that we've talked about before and you've heard of, probably a lot of people have heard of, Sepultura. I'm going to go with one of my favorite songs of theirs, uh, Rada Mahada. Um, mm-hmm. It is a... It's also, like, the video is also peak 90s metal video with very strong Tool vibes. Um, it, it's, just a fucking gr- it's just a fucking great song. It, it is a... Like a lot of Sepultura songs, it is relentless for about five and a half minutes. It's just an onslaught of metal. I love mm. Sepultura. I, I kind of, I kind of, I'm kind of like, I really like, I like Sepultura in the 90s, but like they weren't sort of top of top of my list. I'm kind of mad that I wasn't a bigger fan until a later on in life because Sepultura is fucking awesome. So check out Rata Mahata.
1: Yeah, I have been going – so one of my summer projects is to – I'm taking music from my iPod and I'm basically putting everything into my Apple Music and stuff. Mm. Like there's just – ever since they discontinued the iPod and then brought it back and then discontinued it again, I need to have like some type of – Backup for this massive catalog that I've been that I've accumulated throughout my life. Right. And Sepultura was one of the bands that I had recently added, and it gave me the opportunity to go back on some of their stuffs, even beyond Roots, because Roots was mm-hmm. kind of the um, the album that was advertised in comic books yep. and in magazines back yep. at that time and stuff. It had the really sweet cover and stuff, and that fucking music fucking rocks, dude. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. it's seriously, it's fucking great, great stuff. And um, I am like, I guess like kind of kicking myself a little bit that I even wasn't more of a fan back then. But I I, I didn't really get into like metal metal stuff till maybe high school. And then not gonna lie, like even so in the last like four to five years is when I really, really got back into it. So like there's a lot of stuff of metal wise that I'm kind of like, rushing to get myself reacquainted with because I just it's kind of been lost mm-hmm. on me over time mm-hmm.
0: I just like I just can't believe I missed it because I was like a big Metallica Judas Priest Zombie um, Pantera fan and like I mm-hmm. zero idea how I really miss Sepultura
1: yeah I like I, I only found out about them via the album and the advertisements and comics and they had a song on one of the X Games soundtracks like back yep. when ESPN was releasing those soundtracks and like the, the song was fucking incredible it was badass and I think they, they got another song in like the Crow 2 soundtrack I think if I'm not mistaken um, so like they've had these like little offerings that I've been able to you know in, sample and kind of enjoy I just like I never really made the full the full dive into them and I'm mm-hmm. like kind of regretting that a little bit because it's a really cool take on heavy metal
0: yeah yeah absolutely um oh, sorry open up a window there um oh I'm up here correct on? Uh
1: You're on. I'm up with my last one. My last Sorry. one. Yes. Yeah. Um this is where I'm reinforcing the Carla Morrison Pale Blue Eyes Haste La peel Fucking just it is just an amazing one. Like I could not get over the song enough. And like the um the Velvet Underground song is version of the song, the original version, is really good. But there is just something about the, Carla's voice, the music, the 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 singing the words in Spanish that kind of make it more fucking beautiful. Like it's, it's very, it's hard to explain without actually hearing it. And believe me, I know the phrase, like just my God, that makes it more beautiful. There's a lot of like room there to define the specifics. Mm -hmm. But if you just do like an ear by ear comparison of the two, you know what I mean? Like there's stuff that her voice gets them and there's emotions and things that her voice gets that Lou Reed's, voice does not get to end.
2: for sure
1: like, i love you lou reed but like the, the the dry kind of um talking style it does leave a lot of room to be more emotive in terms of the tones and she really hits that in ways that lou reed just doesn't get with his voice
0: mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and and singing in a different language just brings out different vocalizations of things that right, you're just not used to hearing necessarily. So, yeah, exactly.
1: Like little specifics on syllables and everything. There's just, I'm telling you, there are just emotions that come out in the Spanish language that is just not captured in English.
0: I 100% agree, and I actually have that Carla Morrison song dialed up right now. Carla Morrison cover dialed up right now. Um, I'm really pleased that you you brought Carla Morrison back into the discussion today because uh, she's fucking awesome. Yeah, I, I can't, like, it's, my
1: mom and I went to see that How to Be a Latin Lover movie. Mm-hmm. She was a, a big fan of the star and everything, um, whose name of which is escaping me, but he's a comedian in Mexico. He's huge uh, e- down Eugenio,
0: there. Eugenio Derbez.
1: Yes, yes. And this song, like, it's towards the end of the album when, like, or it's towards the end of the movie when like, kind of that all hope is lost moment, you know, we don't know if the is going to pull through or not, and it works so well in the movies. It's like, even just thinking about it, I'm kind of transported back to a movie theater with my mom when I'm able to like mm-hmm. hear the song for the first time. It's just like, it's one of those things that you hear it and it sticks with you. And if you're like a velvet underground fan, like as I am, it seems to stick with you even more just because of being so familiar with the original.
0: Yeah, for sure. For sure. Absolutely. It's, it's kind of the, not the same thing, but the sa- I understand exactly what you're saying. The same kind of vibes that, uh, you get with like um, the um, uh, oh god damn it! what we've talked about the Trey songs cover of um, the, uh, the, tra- the the Bowie Trey the Bowie trace songs Life on, on Mars. Life on Mars. Life on Mars. That's yeah. like because I love that Bowie song so much, and the cover is so uniquely uniquely gorgeous in the way that Trey mm-hmm. Songs does it. It does sort of like bring out. It's just it's a very emotional cover, and you know. Yeah very emotional cover gives you certain gives you sort of like a, a, a certain memory of that original song too. Yeah, I know exactly what hey, you mean.
1: Definitely. Fuck yeah, dude.
0: All right, I'm going to I'm going to round this out with uh, with my angry Russian rapper Oxy Miron, <laughs> Um who is uh, at least last I heard um, he did a I know he's done some shows in Russia recently and I I think he's he's donated quite a bit of money to the Ukraine cause to the various Ukraine cause, causes. Um, he is very and has always been very flagrantly anti-Putin, uh, which is always <laughs> like a, always a pleasure to hear. And it's not surprising. Again, like I said, he's a very angsty sort of rapper. He would fit right in with like the the Mac Millers of the world um, mm-hmm. in the United States. But I'm gonna I'm gonna round out with his song um, called Agent. It's a very um it's a very intense sort of song like musically lyrically you can just feel it there's something about there's something about russian rappers when they sort of get really animated it, i think it's again just the intonation of their language it is fucking you feel every lyric it's intense and this song is very intense
1: yeah, I listened to the other one, that Russian road rage song mm-hmm. that you had recommended and stuff. And, like, you could feel this stuff. Like, it makes me wonder if this guy is going to be um, free for much longer, yeah. than knowing yeah. his, his stance. But, um, like, yeah, you could really feel that shit. And, like, with um, countries that. Are like Russia, where there—it's just a constant slew of things to be pissed off about. I guess much like here in America, and you couple it with that—that that accent and the language itself, you could feel some of that shit, dude. Like when you're anything um, that is Russian, and like whether it be the latest, the the more boring parts of the most recent uh, season of Stranger Things or even going back to maybe some of the eighties, like action movies and stuff, you could always feel Russian rage.
0: Oh yes. Oh yes. They are, they have, they have been a, it, it's just so funny. They have been a pop culture villain for us since, well, since the cold, since before the cold war, um, it's been about 60 years as a pop culture villain for us. So, and, and Putin, thanks for continuing that cult for continuing that legacy of making Russian people, the fucking enemy of the West.
1: Yeah, I mean, what are we going to do if we ever broker peace with that country? I mean, like, I mean, sure, we'll just go on hating somebody else. You know, I mean, we probably have a long list of. Oh, countries we got the whole Middle down.
0: East to go through, Chema.
1: Yeah, that's right. Yeah, <laughs> and we can go through those countries individually. I mean, we can take, we can make another a hundred years out of the Middle yep. East.
0: <laughs> Absolutely.
1: But, yeah, I just man, it, there's sometimes where like I I kind of understand like you know the US versus Russia kind of rivalry, and then there are times where it's just like man, we are just like so much better off. Like, why, why is this even like a thought? And then go figure, like Putin shows up and they're evil and everything all over again.
0: Yep, yep. Just the, boy, the, the, I feel like there's a whole quote about history and people not remembering it and repeating it. Um, and yeah, I think so too. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> in fact, I think a lot of it happened in that country, um, but whatever. Um, <laughs> thanks, Putin. All right. Um, any any final thoughts here before we wrap up this, uh, this first episode of our Beyond Borders month?
1: I have nothing else farther to add. I'm very surprised, but after having the conversation, I'm not so surprised that we both landed on, uh, on Kauai core, but, um, I, I swear to God, that was a great fucking conversation about that. Like I, um, I'm very happy that we went and picked the same thing. Um, I it just was way more rich for conversation had we yeah. picked two different things. You yeah. know,
0: I just, it it, it it was just so funny because I didn't like halfway through like research. I'm like, I'm just like so the the sort of the three things that I was kind of hovering over. I'm like they're all fucking metal or metal adjacent. They're like and it, and it's sort of like a, a twist or a play on like what a metal band would be. All of them, and mm-hmm. I, I was just like we're gonna have the same thing. Like there's this, like we're gonna end yeah. up with the same thing or something very very close. So I, I'm so I'm not shocked. I'm, you're right. I'm glad that we sort of like focus on the same thing so we could have the the more um the more like robust discussion. And yeah I like I I I'm really um I'm not going to say that like baby, baby metal or anyone like is going to be like a regular on like my playlists but I was like really pleased that I got to go through a lot of this music it was actually pretty solid
1: Oh yeah definitely like as I continue my Japanese lessons and everything like that, I'm sure I'm going to be revisiting the music more and stuff. And I'm actually kind of, I'm like kind of excited to do it. Like I, I, I started taking Japanese, like Jess got Duolingo. She had like an extra space, you know, like, Hey, take a free Duolingo because mm-hmm. I'm on a family plan type thing. And, uh, I've had like kind of like a lot of fun, you know, learning a little bit more about Japanese culture and stuff. And like, I, I can't wait to go over there and buy humans out of vending machines and not smoke weed and stuff. (laughs) I mean, it's a, we're, we're going to make a trip over there sometime in the next like five years or so. We're just, you know, we got the wedding. So it's not like with a, when you're planning a wedding, it's not like you're planning a lot of vacations in the future. Pretty much every nope. dollar that you're uh, expendable dollar you have is going towards the, the, the planning of the wedding. But, um, in general, that's something that, um, like I've just kind of developed an interest in, like I I'm about halfway through all the show era Godzilla movies and stuff. I mm-hmm. got the big box set and stuff. And I spent $140 on this cool, awesome Godzilla box set only. So HBO can put all of the movies that are in that box set on the streaming service yep. like a couple months later. <laughs> like, so, um, but I've had a lot of fun going through that and like, I, I'm going to be learning more about the music and stuff. And hopefully at some point in time when I'm, knowledgeable enough in the language I might be able to sing along with it but as of right now I can I they say like I'm far along in Duolingo I personally don't feel it but I mean I could I could say some phrases and stuff but I'm just not singing along with the music yet
0: yeah yeah that's I I feel like that's sort of a um singing in a different language like more you know more so than just repeating lyrics that you know you know what I mean like I right. can I can mouth along to an OxyMiron song. I have zero idea what the fuck I'm saying. Like, no clue what I'm saying, but I can make the same sounds. But, like, sort of hearing a song and then singing it and sort of processing the language that fast, that's, like, then you're starting to get to advanced level language skills.
1: Yeah, exactly. And, like, I am nowhere near that in Duolingo. Like, for all the freaking Godzilla movies that I've watched in the last month, there's been only, like, two words that I've recognized in six Godzilla movies. So, (laughs) it's a a very complicated language. Progress! yeah, Jess was like, "Are you sure?" And I was like, "Yeah, I need something really complicated, I guess, to focus on and stuff." And I'm, I lost the desire to learn to play the guitar solo for Yellow Ledbetter. as I just that's a whole other freaking animal. So I'm like, "Yeah, I might as well take another language." And she's been learning Spanish, and she's gotten pretty good at it. And I, um, I know it maybe makes more sense living in Southern California for me to learn Spanish, but I decided to opt with um, an Asian language because we have a like we have a really. Vast community of Japanese Americans oh, yeah. and everything oh, yeah. like that out here, too. So it's, um, she can cover one section of a foreign language, you know, with learning Spanish, and I can order for us in Asian restaurants hopefully in two years.
0: So. You never know, you might meet Shohei Otani out there. You <laughs> yeah, know, you know talk to him in Spanish, in Japanese, not yeah, in English. Can you... Can you imagine that the fucking angels were even debating on trading that guy? <laughs> like, what the? Oh, fuck? I can imagine. I, I mean, whatever they hit, they hit seven home runs the other night and lost.
1: Yeah. Oh my god. Like, I know that the the. I guess like since I've been out here, I've become more accustomed to learning about the angels. Just kind of being like semi boneheady in terms of moves, and I'm just like, you're sitting on two of the two of the hottest players in the game. One is I think trout is hurt or something like that. I not I haven't seen his name. So I haven't seen his name as much yeah, recently. recently but, he got, he got a little injured, but, um, I'm just like, Hey, you guys are sitting on two of the greatest players here. And here you are actually thinking about trading one of them to the Dodgers. No less. Just imagine how that's going to go over with your fan base.
0: I, you know what? All the LA people, they'd flip. No big deal. They, they would <laughs> just become right. Dodger fans. Come on.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. Oh my God. Yeah. I can see it now. All the, uh the people that are hanging out in the bars in the trenches of orange County are just Dodger fans. And because I, I I will say one thing, I am surprised how much the angels are embraced down there. Like they people in orange County fucking love that team. And the stadium is, is down in orange County and stuff. And, uh, you're right though. After something like that, they that might be the whole thing to get that team out of Los Angeles and put in somebody else.
0: You see there's like a like there's like word that he got traded to the Dodgers and you just see people on the streets flipping their their Angels hats inside out, and their Dodgers hats on the other side.
1: Yeah, that's exactly right. I get, those have to exist somewhere. Oh, I'm sure they do. Bl- I refuse to believe that those don't exist somewhere.
0: <laughs> I'm sure they do. My my favorite my favorite sort of shot at the at the Angels was um it was a couple of years ago whatever whatever the whatever the angels became they you know they dropped they instead of just being the anaheim angels they became the los angeles angels of anaheim officially titled there yeah. were, i remember someone it wasn't like an officially licensed shirt but like some shirt company out there made a dodger shirt that was the los angeles dodgers of los angeles and oh I was, that's great and i'm just like perfect that is yeah fucking perfect
1: Oh, that is really fucking perfect. Actually, I might try to see if I can hunt one of those down. I need a, I need a Dodgers shirt and stuff like that. I have, I have a hat, but I look stupid in hats. Like there's this photo just po- posted of us when we went to the guardians Dodgers game. Mm. I'm just like, I'm never wearing hats ever again. Like even <laughs> if I go bald, I'm like, I'm never fucking done wearing hats. <laughs>
0: I gotcha. All right. Um, so, any any final thoughts there? Since we just derailed you with uh, Los Angeles, Southern California baseball talk. Yeah. No. Uh, no final thoughts. Really fun episode. Looking forward to the next one. Absolutely. Absolutely. How about you lead us out of here? I definitely will.
1: Everybody out there, thank you so much for tuning into the first installments of the Occasional Is Beyond Borders. I am Adam Chmeluski and Matthew Pagel. We are wishing you the best, and we will see you next time. Thank you.